The first of many Cameronless Terminators, Disney reboots a radio classic, and Tom Cruise is a running lawyer. This week on 302010. Hello everyone and welcome to 302010, the Laser Time Network's weekly pop culture time machine, walking you through all the fantastic milestones and anniversaries of some of our favorite movies, TV shows, music, much more. Hi, I'm one of your hosts, Chris Antista. Who else is with me today? I'm Diana Goodman, and you saying running lawyer just makes the kids in the hall get stuck in my head Ooh. with a much better word than the word they use. Running Ooh, lawyer, lawyer, see the running lawyer, like the run runs. Running lawyer, running free. Howdy, lawyer! <laughs> <laughs> anyway. And I'm J.R. Rawls, and if you don't like this accent, we can fix it. <laughs> hey, uh, hey! I, I actually grabbed that clip. I don't, even, I don't know if it'll work because it's one of the silliest things to come out of something we'll talk about. And just because I have nowhere else to say it, uh, when please watch the Amazon Kids in the Hall show. It's very good. And I was shocked to find out that Mark McKinney wrote the sketch you're just referencing, Diane. Diane. Yeah. And like, it wasn't Scott Thompson. And if it wasn't, how do you, how do you pitch that to him? <laughs> anyway, moving on. Uh, welcome. Uh. No, actually, I have something to say. I I want to thank the governors of the Academy Awards who clearly listen to this show. Oh, do they? Because, yes, because they announced the uh, honorary Oscars this year, and they're giving one to Angela Bassett. Hey, look at that. Yep. They obviously listened to our What's Love Got to Do With It episode and decided, damn it, we owe her. Sorry. Of course, they're the most powerful force in the Academy. I thought that was <laughs> obvious. <laughs> I mean, all, all you need, really need are like two of them. And, uh, yeah. Anyway, welcome to 302010. We'll be covering the week. You don't know what we do. We look back at the world 30, 20, and 10 years ago. It's a great way to relive your past, figure out what you were doing, uh, uh, who you were seeing. I don't know. I love it. I really do every week because you know, there's always a memory of like who I was watching something with or who I bought an album with. It's really cool. And uh, this week, we're talking about June 30th through the July 6th in th- across three decades, 1993, 2003, and 2013. Yeah, July 4th weekend, guys. So these are supposedly the, the big, the biggest movies we have. And by gosh. What's, what's crazy is behind <laughs> the scenes on like half of them, it's like the same three guys. Oh, <laughs> That's <laughs> true. Um, anyway, uh, this week we'll start as we always do in 1993. Oh, and I also got to thank our patrons at patreon.com slash laser time. Uh, got some bonus episodes up for you there. We've got some more in the bank. Can't wait to share them with you. Five bucks. That's all we ask. Give us more or less. It's up to you. But just give something. Or, or if you're not giving to Patreon, you got to tell a friend about the show. Sorry, that's the rules. I don't make the rules. That's from the mayor of podcasting. He just he just passed this law. Anyway, moving on to 1993, June 30th through July 6th. Two wonderful stories uh, in the news that, that are actually not going to depress you. Don Henley is booed on stage in Milwaukee when he, he dedicates the song It's Not Easy Being Green. What? To Bill Clinton. Double what? <laughs> what was that in reference to? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, oh, I'm too busy looking up to see, wait, did, did Bill Clinton win Wisconsin or no? I think Bill Clinton won Wisconsin. And Don Henley, you know, fans, I don't think they're super Reaganites. I don't know. <laughs> Shut I don't up know and play why. Into the Innocence. <laughs> 
I yeah, yeah I, I, I don't I have no idea. And it yeah, it's Milwaukee. That's not a red red town. I've been there. Yeah, this is um I don't know. It's it's history mad libs, man. <laughs> or were they booing the idea like instead of Eagle Song, you're covering Big Bird? What the fuck is happening? How dare he play it's not easy being green. I hate that. <laughs> Don Henley. Like Don, Henley must, Don Henley must die. That's mm. uh, good. I, I greenlight that movie right now. And even sillier news, a blimp. Not just any blimp, a Pizza Hut blimp. <laughs> Is this the Bigfoot blimp? Uh, def- Bigfoot blimp. That's two square feet of pizza, that Bigfoot. Yeah, Reggie fils in action. Uh, the Bigfoot blimp deflates yet lands safely on West 56th Street in New York City. <laughs> what? We, we don't. We have it footage of it like falling but not footage of it hitting a building. You know, it's 1993. You're just hoping someone is being a tourist in New York City with a VHS machine strapped over their shoulder and another one around their belt. Uh, Mm -hmm. So we got some footage of it floating down and then footage of it already landed. But if this has been done even like 10 years later, we would have had like multiple angles. Oh, that's such a a bummer. And if it were done now, we'd have a bunch of TikToks. They'd at least put the Hindenburg commentary over it. Uh, <laughs> well, inside the blimp would have been filming. Come on. Yeah. Wait, what happened to the people inside uh, the blimp? Oh my god. I think everyone was fine. Okay. Yeah. I'm, yeah. It's not that it crashed. It came down pretty slow. Oh, like floated like a like a fucking balloon. I see. Yeah. <laughs> see, maybe this firefighter can explain it. Firefighter Billings, and we had reports of a blimp coming down. Many people came running down the street and said, uh, "Large blimp." We looked up. We saw a very large uh, Pizza Hut blimp heading towards this direction. Which time we proceeded to our vehicles, came to West 53rd Street uh, between 9th and 10th, and uh, witnessed a large balloon into a building. Uh, we had reports of two people. Did you see a hole in it? We saw a hole uh, approximately 20 by 20, maybe 20 by 40. Uh, Does that constitute a uh, hole at that point? That's like a void. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm just picturing the firefighter chief going, okay, I know many of you laughed when I demanded we do 10 hours blimp training a year. (laughs) Many of you request to be transferred to other districts, but our time is now. How is that not going to be fun? The idea of chasing a bunch of fire trucks through a slowly falling balloon. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Uh, oh happy i'm happy usually in this segment like a fucking foreign dictator gets assassinated instead two beautiful stories of the air (laughs) wonderful so i looked it up guess how many blimps there are in the entire world what uh Uh, the last one i saw was promoting evan almighty (laughs) that's the last (laughs) one i personally saw Uh, like 10 25 yeah wow. in the entire okay. world yeah, there are what do they only do? 25 yeah they don't do much yeah they yeah. Ha- it's they, like uh, an airplane except it's slower and that's it it's it's yeah, or it's they, like it's like a billboard but faster yeah no, they, they top out at something like not even 100 miles an hour so oh i didn't even imagine yeah. that fast yeah i think they yeah right. so who it, they're not great like it would be kind of cool like Oh, I look at pictures of like the Hindenburg interior and I think that would be a nice way to travel. It's like a cruise ship, but it's in the sky. But it's like, but it goes so slow. <laughs> I mean, cruise ships <laughs> don't go it. much above 100, do they? I don't no, think so. Really. Yeah. No, I, well, I was only on one and there were boats flying past us. Yeah, they don't go. They're not built for speed. 100 miles an hour is crazy. I, moving on to the movies of 1990. Oh, wait, wait, wait. What? I got oh, it. What? Fast and Furious 11. Oh. Blimp <laughs> Battle. 
<laughs> they're racing each other at blimps. Okay, but because it's Fast and Furious, they have to be like 10 feet off the ground for some stupid reason. Yes. And you've got these two blimps, each at 100 miles an hour, you know, slowly <laughs> trying not to hit each other. Well, they got one more movie. I hopefully, hopefully, our our power ex- extends the Fast series. Yeah, I mean, so a car, a souped-up car, could go as fast as a blimp. So I feel like they're they're missing an opportunity there to like have a blimp tied to a car and then yes. have to drag it through Rio. I don't know, like Mario Kart. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right, I'll take it. Um, okay, moving on to the movies of 1993. Two big ones? I don't know. I hate the next movie and did at the time, which is... Wow. I really thought this would be the one that the nostalgia would kick in for you. I, I was always shocked because I don't hate all Pauly Shore movies. Quite the opposite. Much love for Encino Man and Biodome. I never understood the love for this one. Uh, Cindy Pickett, Lane Smith, Carla Gugino, and of course, Pauly Shore, the Wee's son-in-law. From Hollywood Pictures into an ordinary town came a stranger. Who became Stranger. You guys have chicken? Are they extra crispy original recipe? And Stranger. <laughs> and Stranger. Nice nice chicken! Till something even more peculiar happened. We bonded. He became one of the family. Son-in-law. Feel the breeze and let it fly. Rated PG-13. Whoo, son-in-law. Encino Man <laughs> is great because it has just enough Pauly Shore. It's mm-hmm. it, it stars Samwise Gamgee and the whale as well. <laughs> it's, yeah. You got we got yeah. other people in there. This is all Polly Shore. Brendan yeah. Fraser makes an appearance. He does a cameo as the Encino Man. That's true in this film. This is true, but from, that's the hot point. That's it's all downhill from there, and that's in like minute five because this mm-hmm. is a dumb movie. Mm-hmm. Okay, oh, I. Yeah. Listeners, to get through most of the movies on the show, I normally watch films at two times their regular speed. Oh, I feel like that's this too fast. film <laughs> was too slow at two f- times the speed. <laughs> oh, at three times regular f- speed, and it still dragged. It was still just like watching my uh, wristwatch as uh, the mm. minutes tick by because this is <sighs> the only laugh. The only laugh I got was when uh, Pauly Shore thought a turkey was dead and wasn't. That got <laughs> me. That was yeah. fun. But that's just broad physical comedy. Everything else was just grating and annoying. I found this very strange because I uh, avoided this 30 years ago when it came out because I was like, Ugh. and then I actually watched it 30 years later. And it's like, this is better than I expected. I mean, I really expected it to be just horrible, but mostly I just, I found so much of it very odd. Like, because it's, it's guess who's coming to dinner with you instead of black people, (laughs) young LA people. (laughs) Yeah. But like the setup is not just like, you know, a country girl meets Polly Shore and she brings him home to meet the family, which is what they say it is. It's actually like this long setup of like country girl, goes off to college and Polly Shore's her RA and she keeps getting pressured to marry like her high school sweetheart and she doesn't want to. So then she brings Polly Shore back pretending to be her fiance. Like it takes a lot longer to get to the farm (laughs) than I was expecting. And then they get to the farm and this guy won't take no for an answer. And we never really understand like why, like we hate movies did this a little while ago and 
they were like, is there like a missing subplot where he like wants to take over the farm? Like that would make a little bit more sense. Like, why is he so dedicated? Even though she keeps saying no and keeps <laughs> trying to get away from him. that He won't fucking stop it, it, to the point of like drugging Polly Shore and uh, Tiffany Amber Thiessen and setting it up to look like, oh, he cheated on you. Like, don't be drugging people, you creepo. Mm. I mean, so, his, his it, better plan would have been. His better plan was to just point out that Polly Shore is a horrible, horrible person in this film. Yeah, incredibly I mean, obnoxious. He's just I don't know. Really like, obnoxious. Oh, he's super obnoxious. But I think like the weird thing was I thought like, oh, he kind of has a good heart. Like he's going along with this dumb plan, like and giving her good advice, like good friendly advice. He's not trying to get in her pants. It's just like he's just like a nice guy who's super annoying. That's the annoying thing. I should have used the word annoying because. If my daughter brought home Polly Shore, <laughs> I would be in trouble. I would start drinking or doing heroin. I don't know what I'd do because, good Lord, five minutes of conversation with that man, and I'd, I'd really want him to leave. Yeah, I just, I, I feel like if he had not been doing his weasel stuff, like basically his shtick, mm -hmm. if it were just, hi, I'm a weird looking guy. Okay, like the movie would be so much better. You you might like, I would find it watchable. You might have jinxed yourself, Jr. Because the the whole Polly Shore phenomenon and, and and I this is just my personal historical context feels like he's kind of the first famous influencer. He's not. Oh Lord! He yeah, it's and there's looking together. The wheels are spinning, and all these pieces <laughs> are getting together. And there, every uh, aspect of internet culture I hate can be traced to Polly Shore. Well, damn you, man! <laughs> damn you! It's just that, that he's not—he's not like a comedian. He got famous by introducing music video, being an interesting person who introduces music videos. And for lack of a internet, MTV was your youth culture and media. That's just your daily media uh, youth culture. And I think that's why people resent. I don't resent Pauly Shore. I just never really understood why, like, when you have conversations about Pauly Shore's, his his resume. Oeuvre. It, his this oeuvre. one, yeah. This, he this, does have an oeuvre. Diana, back yeah. me up on this. This Completely one an is typically brought up as the best. And it's kind of my least favorite, personally. I have, again, I have affection for the other ones. Watching Encino Man a year or two ago was splendid. But See, I, I didn't like him at 14, and I don't like him in my 40s. So, yeah. But I'm just saying, yeah. the, uh, I, mainstream 1993 culture's irritation and rejection of Pauly Shore is the same irritation I think our generation gets for a lot of desperate people on the internet. Mm -hmm. And they're going to get their own movie eventually, too. They'll probably have to kickstart it but uh yeah man. i don't know i feel like though this is damning with incredibly faint praise but if you were going to watch a movie that is a polish Shore vehicle by himself it's probably this one sure i'm not watching in the army now I, and some of it's just the supporting cast is really good lane smith who used to play uh perry white on the lois and clark oh wow he's like he's the foil and he's really fucking good at that yes I, like, would you I accept biodome I love Biodome. <laughs> Biodome. Biodome is a two-hander. It is. Right. It is not. It is not just when Polly Shore is by himself. No, you should probably avoid it. But if you have to, with a gun to your fucking head, <laughs> this is a nightmare scenario for me. Thank yes. you, Diana. Yeah, 
Well, I guess then really the question is find the shortest polyshard. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but, yeah. No, the fact that I found, like, I had a couple chuckles and mostly I was just surprised at, oh, this is much friendlier and nicer than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, there wasn't really a, yeah, I guess there, did you expect him to be more Bill Murray-esque? Like, uh, just bothering everybody everywhere he went instead of charming the pants off of him? I guess, yeah. Maybe. Or, I mean, it is annoying. It's like, I find him so annoying at the end, like everyone falls in love with him and they're all like using his shitty terminology for things. And it's like, oh, now I'm embarrassed. It, like, it, this is like watching, we're going to bring it back to beach party movies, beach party movies where then like Buster Keaton shows up at the end and he's a million years old and he has to like dance the monkey with everyone and you just feel embarrassed. <laughs> it's a little bit of that. And it, it may be worth mentioning that this is probably the reason why, Diana, is that this is a Disney movie. Back when um, Disney, it was just Roger Rabbit's anniversary, and I couldn't, I couldn't stop thinking about that. But just because I wrote to someone like, uh, "Yeah, Sylvester is the Jackie Robinson of saying pussy in a Disney movie," but they they still kept their distance by labeling this is a Touchstone movie or this is a Hollywood Films movie, but it still mm -hmm. got Disney's hands all over it. And uh, but they get to get away with more, and it just. I don't even remember when that stopped happening, that Disney just will put its name on anything, no matter how we'll find out next week or this week, how, no matter how violent it is, uh, doesn't really matter mm -hmm. anymore. Uh, yep. And yeah, so I, uh, yeah, <laughs> I feel like I'm being nice to son-in-law. It's like, I could think of a lot worse things, but I want to really go to bat for this next movie. I want adult ass thrillers for adults. Damn it. I think, I think that's what, <laughs> Some streaming service needs to uh, pull up to this author's house with a dump truck full of money, <laughs> buy all the rights to all his books, and then just have it be a John Grisham, the series. And every year we get a, another eight to ten part episode of his books. Mm. Make it connected if you really want to. Oh, oh yes, a Grishamiverse. I want it. A Grishamiverse. <laughs> well, that's, that's exactly how I was going to introduce this. This is the dawn of the Grishamiverse. The first. Uh, Gary Busey, Hal Holbrook, Wilford Diabetes Brimley, David Stratham, Holly Hunter, Janine Triplehorn, Ed Harris, Gene Hackman, and Tommy Wami Cruz. Uh, it's number one at the box office. It's The Firm. No lawyer has ever left your law firm alive. We have to behave exactly as we have been. They can get to anyone, anywhere. We keep each other's secrets. Why are you asking questions about dead lawyers? Are we misreading him? They might know how important your young wife is to you. Your life as you know it is over. I know you'll do your best to protect the firm. Won't you, Mitch? The firm. Starts Wednesday, June. The firm. Um, I I actually was watching this, and I had to reach out to it's me, Sarah, um, because mm -hmm. if you know her, remember this is like very much in her wheelhouse. Yes, she was a nine-year-old reading Grisham books. Massive Tom Cruise <laughs> fan. Family of lawyers, but she was. She pointed out that it's, uh, you're seeing like sort of the rise and dominance of the '90s paperback thriller. I love that she pointed out like it. It, it treats, it's trying to treat, like, make lawyers look cynical. Instead, it just made them look really sexy and cool, <laughs> like the mafia. Uh, and, and I really loved, I really love that point because I was always a little bored by this movie. I, I think maybe because I grew up with a family of attorneys and even they gradually grew bored with it. But like, 
they couldn't stop talking about this. And it's also interesting, uh, John Grisham's Rise to Fame. This is his second book uh, after A Time to Kill, which makes no waves. But uh, that the, the, the book got uh, leaked and Hollywood found it, bought it, and that's what stimulated the interest in John Grisham in general, the optioning of this book for kind of a lot of money before it's published because this book's only two, like less than two years old. Uh, yep. But yeah, it's, it's, we will have a John Grisham movie in like every summer for the, like for the <laughs> next few years because of the firm. And, yep. uh, and, and I, 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 I always got a little bored watching it, but that's because like we just did um, on patreon.com slash time. You can listen to our, we go into depth on uh, Tootsie. Uh, a Sidney Pollock movie, and it very much feels like one of his films in that it's it feels a little older than it than it is. It's very elegantly mm-hmm. directed with a steady hand, all that shit. It's just like I don't know. I feel like I've seen it a bunch, and it just never really moved me that much. But I know tons of people love the firm, like Diana. Yeah. Oh yeah, I I love it. I mean, one of the reasons it might feel very Sidney Pollocky is it's got music by J- Dave Grusin again. Mm-hmm. Pretty much just him on a piano. Yeah, it, and, and it's a really like and it's exciting score like it's moody but also when there's like a chase scene you're like all right like cool ass piano like it, it has a really cool score that I, I wish more movies just took a chance with just doing something different than than the usual kinds of music you get uh yeah no i like it because it it is a legal thriller mm-hmm. that what, they never you know go, <laughs> they never go to a courtroom yeah <laughs> That is the most amazing thing about it. I would say this is the best legal thriller without a single courtroom. Well, he scene. hasn't passed the bar. Yeah, so, I mean, that's like a big thing. Point, is, but yeah, he, he has to work really hard. You know, he comes out of law school, and you know, he gets hired by this fancy firm, and you know, they pay off all his debts, and and they, you know, pay for him to to take the bar, and then he realizes. People keep dying in this law firm, and it's because, uh, yeah, we are super corrupt and we super run f- work for the mob, and we will collect blackmail on everybody, and we will kill you if you leave. Basically, devil's advocate with no devil. Yeah. <laughs> the thing is, it, it's not illegal to represent the mob. Our system no. is such that uh, criminals do get representation. They do get to pay lawyers to represent them. So you could have a completely legal firm who is like we specialize in the mob who does not exist wink wink nudge nudge um but that's not this law firm this law firm is we specialize in the mob and we do crime which seems you don't want to mix the two honestly you want your law firm to be clean so that they can represent you and when you do the illegal things are are you sure you don't want a criminal lawyer (laughs) would say i just i I had it written in my notes it's like was this the year everyone realized are some lawyers bad like yeah that's every bad person you've ever heard of has one that's that's some lawyers are bad and some corporations and people put their money in the cayman islands and hide it so they don't have to pay taxes on it I just don't understand if you're buying property in the Cayman Islands, why do you live in Memphis? Memphis is nice. Fuck that. Cayman Islands greater (laughs) than Memphis. (laughs) Well, I watched this movie when I was 15 Mm -hmm. and too young for it. I did not have the knowledge base to like be able to connect everything Mm. and be like 
following along. I didn't even know the mob existed at 15. I didn't. I didn't know the oh. mafia was a thing. It, 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 it does hand, like there's all the dangling plot threads. It, it, I was surprised by how adult it is. Like we're going to pay off your student loans. I'm 11. What's a student loan? Uh, the bar. Don't know what that is. Uh, yeah. Like there's a, yeah. there's, it's an yeah. adult movie That's for true. adults. But, uh, yeah, attorney-client privilege is mm-hmm. like a major part of this movie. It's mm-hmm. about attorney-client privilege. As a 45-year-old, I followed it no problem. It was mm-hmm. just like, I understand everything you're doing, yeah. every step of the way, okay. But I think that's one reason that Jurassic Park could be so huge and adult movies for adults can't. Because me as a 15-year-old, mm-hmm. I'm never going to go see The Firm a second, third, and fourth time in theaters but I would with Jurassic Park. And I don't think any adults would see The Firm that many times in theaters either, but it's still a very solid movie that I enjoyed much more as a rewatch because I haven't seen it in 30 years. I saw it in 30 years in cinemas and then just two days ago. So 30 year break between watching it, but I was shocked how much I remembered. Like I could remember many scenes in this and Mm -hmm. Grisham deserves to have his legacy live on. He deserves to have something going on because he's going to be huge for the next yeah. about 20 years or so. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 This kicks it off, too, of like, we're, yeah, like you said, we're going to buy the rights to everything mm-hmm. and we'll adapt. I, I looked it up. And, like, uh, every. And unfortunately, Pelican Brief also comes out this year, which yep. is much more disappointing. Yeah. But every summer, like, is a huge John Grisham movie that is number one at the box office. And it did, you know, this is one of the things I love about the show, reflecting on 30 years ago. I, I know we get a lot of criticism, like, there are all these movies are based on comic books now. Wah. And it was just like, well, in our show, we look for movies that came out 30 years ago, and all of the highest grossing movies are based on existing books throughout the next couple of years. Like the, all the movies in the top 10, almost never an original thing. It is Jurassic Park. It is Forrest Gump. It like all things option from books. I yep. got to throw this out there before and comic we books on. are books. <laughs> Do you ever want to see a badass Wilford Brimley? I, yes. <laughs> oh, uh, now this is, this is second only. There is a much Bigger badass Wilford oh, Brimley, I think we summed about up in a gift. Yeah, we, we already talked about it. Hard target? No, no, next oh. year. We had hard target. I was talking about the thing. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. yeah, obviously. But oh, no, hard target, man. Yeah, yeah when just, I saw just go, that, ahead, I was like, go ahead and Google a Wilford Brimley horseback gif, and it's the cutest thing you've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, but I was, but, but up till then, it was like, oh my God, they made Wilford Brimley kind of menacing in yep. this. Like, I don't want to deal with him. Oh, God, he's trundling after someone. Oh, shit. Oh, God, he stood up. Like, holy shit, he never does that. He's serious. He is so angry at you that you're a dead man. So you don't want Wilford Brimley to stand up. Oh, yeah. Well, that's the other thing about this movie is, yeah, every single, it is like character actors out the wazoo, and every single one of them is killing it. I think this is one of the first times I saw David Strathairn in anything, killing it. Holly Hunter, small part. Fucking rules in it's, this. Movie. It's it's almost so a record funny. holder for uh, getting an Oscar nomination for she's. She gets nominated for, yeah, two nominations this year. One of them's for this. Yeah, f- for five minutes one. of screen time. Yeah, I mean, like Gary Busey's really good in this. Like everybody's <laughs> kicking ass. I love Gary Busey in this. 
Tom Cruise gives a great performance. Okay, this is him really transitioning away from some of his more younger roles. I mean, yeah, he's a fresh face lawyer. Second but, you know, time he's played a lawyer. Lawyers are still in their <laughs> late twenties. Yeah. 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 Exactly. And this is what second lawyer yeah. job in a row. Uh, yeah, in a row. From, uh, yeah, a few good men. And it's like I'm, I'm, I'm believing it. Yeah, I feel bad. I feel like for adult ass thrillers from 1993 this one gets very much overshadowed by one that's less adult ass and more actiony mm -hmm. called the fugitive that we're going to talk about at the end oh, of the summer cannot wait love it which movie. is an amazing it's a fucking great movie i feel yeah. like the fern gets overshadowed it's like this is an adult ass thriller yeah i think I, I think that's because um in watching the movie and feeling a little bored it's like well all this this is a thriller mystery and you already know what everything is going to happen. And I think that's why it doesn't enjoy the types of rewatches. A lot of number one summer movies do. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it, there, there's definitely a mystery, but it's really like, how can he come up with a way yeah. to not get killed? Mm -hmm. He has to basically blackmail the firm and the mob into not killing him. And, and kind of the <laughs> FBI. He has to play and all the FBI, these. That's true. Because the FBI is coming to him and they say, yeah, we want you to break the attorney client privilege. And if you don't do that, you're going to go to jail for all the corrupt stuff. The firm is going to make you do. And if you do that, you're going to lose your license to do law, but Hey, isn't that better than going to jail? So he's put in a horrible position. He didn't like eagerly join this corrupt law firm. He just took the best job offer he could right out of school, which, mm -hmm. you know, most of us do. And, and allegedly that's something the movie whipped on the story because in the book, he's a little more action. I have not read the book, but in the book, he's a little more action hero-y, cha total change of character, and the movie kind of grounds it. No, this is a lawyer, and he's going to try and do something lawyery and clever. Uh, to yep. He's going to lawyer the hell out of this. Yeah, and I love that. I mean, I'm kind of spoiling the end a little bit. The idea, like, he gets them on something that they made him study for the bar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love that the idea of like I wouldn't have thought of it if they hadn't paid me to study for the bar. Yeah, Chekhov's homework. That's what we call that. Anyway. Anyway, the firm. It's number one. Um, yeah, I don't feel like it gets held aloft with classic status, but it's 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 pop culture ripples were kind of amazing. And we'll it's yeah, Grisham probably deserves more credit in this field. Because it's not nerdy, okay? Yeah. John Grisham is just normal people, the movies, okay? And it's not the type of things nerds obsess about on the internet. So yeah. I, I was reading that, that Grisham, there are, I forget what the stat was, but only Tom Clancy and J.K. Rowling have sold the amount of books as John Grisham has. And, wow. And yeah, like it's pretty, yeah, it, but you're right. It doesn't, <laughs> it's not getting written up on movie websites because it's adult yeah. as shit yeah and I'm, i'll be honest i mean it's july 4th weekend people want to go to the movies and probably see something new but i'm kind of surprised that three weeks and jurassic park is bumped from number one yeah by, by an adult ass adult movie yes but again it was you have to think of it as it is an adaptation of a thing that was already popular in another medium like incredibly popular yeah guess how many consecutive number one fiction bestsellers john ray 37 jr oh i looked okay. i sorry i looked it up really ah. i never get the answer right but i was <laughs> I, I was more because yeah like john grisham is not someone i've ever taken like a deep dive into i've never read any of his stuff uh but 
his movie legacy. Like I'm all, I was all over that. I, I, I would go in theaters with peers to go see John Grisham movies. It, Feel, felt weird then it feels weird now <laughs> oh my god and he's still producing books yeah. you know yeah. they, they come out fairly regularly like every two years there's another one he's not um, dead I, like jk rowling and tom clancy <laughs> <laughs> also i'm shocked to see, this is going to stay number one for a couple of weeks jurassic park is done at number one it's going to stay in the top five for the rest of the fucking year yep. yeah it's going to be in theaters for the whole year even like in wow uh, pretty much. I mean, it's going to stay in the top 10 for probably the rest of the year. Yeah. Wow. It sticks around. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, the... so, yeah. I feel like every, every week, at least through the end of summer should be asterisk. Also Jurassic Park made more as much money as this did. Yes. <laughs> uh, but the, we salute the firm and welcome John Grisham and, uh, completely overtaking this segment of the show for the next four years in the summer. Hey. Uh, and moving on to 1993 TV, which is much more sparse, uh, it's summer, guys. I look. There's not yeah. a no, no. Yeah, me lot too. of things on summer. Uh, especially like before the rise of the reality show, like TV is dead in the summer. And uh, with the exception of HBO running some counter program here with the Larry Sanders show. And JR, I guess this episode stuck out for the exact same reasons for me as it did for you because <laughs> I immediately thought of this and I thought I clipped it and put it in here, but you did too. With Hankersizer 200, the episode where. What, uh, Larry's dating his ex-wife and uh, ladies uh, Larry is dating this lady and Hank who's a reporter and Hank is coming up with the Hankersizer 200 which is the latest fitness fad where you tie the exercise thing to a doorknob and the problem is doorknobs are not designed to withstand the pressure that the Hankersizer puts on them and they keep flying out and hitting people. Oh. And Hank pressures the reporter girlfriend of Larry His to ex-wife. do an article on the Hankersizer. Mm-hmm. And then she gets hurt and she goes, I'll write him an article. And then he's like, no, 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 no. You can't write a negative article. And then the most realistic use of the C word I have ever seen in any movie or television yeah. show happens and i i love the scene in particular because you're gonna hear it as silence but it's just a look that you may recognize if you've ever gone too far in an argument before <laughs> and you want to immediately go back back in time we must keep the spotlight on the great larry sanders you know so you get to have your own show and i get to have dick could we please stick to the issue hank francine got hurt yeah right now i have to pay for the fact that you're back together with that cunt Oh my god. Oh my god. Whoa. Oh no. Whoa. Oh no. Whoa. Oh no. What did you just say? No. No. I'm sorry. You didn't say. You couldn't have. I'm sorry. Did I hear you? I just. I I think it's that new hay fever medication. I. I... (laughs) Even 30 years later, this scene still shocks me when I saw it. (laughs) Yeah. Because, you know, you'll have people say horrible things on television shows or movies, and it's a television show and movie, so they just keep moving things along. It's mm-hmm. like, they said the terrible thing, but we're advancing the plot to the next beat. Okay. But in real life, if someone throws out the C word at someone you love, that's going to grind the conversation to a stop. Yeah. Unless you're, you know, 
very low class and you just use that word all the time or if, british or british <laughs> or british <laughs> in which case it is what you call your best friends mm -hmm. right but uh <laughs> in normal american ease if you yes. throw out the c word the oh. conversation is going to be whoa yep and i'll, I'll take it even yeah. further i don't think in 2023 you can have a main character say this to another main character and still have them be likable I, I I think you could on a show like the Larry Sanders maybe, show yeah. where everyone is garbage. Yeah. I mean, that's the point of the show. All yeah. these people are horrible and Hank they handle is, it right. <laughs> yeah. Like Hank is a fucking loser. That's been the point. That's the point of this episode. He will put yes. his name on anything. He is desperate for attention and love. And yeah, he's already, he's already a fucking idiot before he goes too far. Oh, I love that scene so much. And oh. Glad we got to go on the Larry Sanders show because I have nothing to say about Theodore Tugboat, <laughs> TBS children's series that debuts this week. The only is thing this, happening in television. Is this Thomas the Tank Engine's cousin? From Canada, <laughs> the I think. Second yeah. cousin twice removed. You oh, know. the Canadian branch of the family. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I feel like tugboats are like inherently friendly like there's that old disney True. cartoon yes about the it's awesome thank you Jay. because it's it's a boat but its sole purpose is to help other boats yes yeah. so and it should it, it should be like one of the first things you draw or a, the toy that appears in your bathtub it's a very understandable yeah. boat yeah Smokestack. it's like a tow truck for boats yeah. <laughs> yeah. it's there to help um okay okay and then moving on to Woo, we're going to cover the Super Nintendo here. A whole mess of Super Nintendo wow. games. That is a lot of stuff. It is, but, uh, you know. We'll these... go through it fa fast. Oh, most of, of this is B.O.B. -B Bombs over, bad most... man. <laughs> <laughs> most generic game, you play a robot, and they never explain what B.O.B. -B stands for in the game or the game's manual, and there's, like, all these theories going around <laughs> It's just the name so. Bob is going to move fucking <laughs> move yeah. games to kids. It's just huh. <laughs> I'm so excited about the Bob game, Mom. Thanks. But that's the that, wonders of Bob. That's how weird this era for games is because maybe they're not interested in moving games for kids. Because one of the most fascinating things in gamedom during this period is the company Titus, whose most popular thing and would become the face of their brand is the fucking Blues Brothers, which they release over and over again on different platforms. Okay, the Blues Brothers was 17 years old mm -hmm. when this game came out. Okay, I, I'm sorry, I'm not hip with SNL, but 17 years ago on SNL. Can you imagine them coming out with a video game today of a skit that last ran 17 years ago. And I'll go Maybe a skip with a one movie. further. Half of the Blues Brothers have been dead for, <laughs> 15, <laughs> for, for like almost 20 long. years. Uh, yeah. For no, it's 10 years. Uh, but yeah, okay. the, it, it's. Are we still doing a Blues Brothers show for Patreon? Because I really want to. Holy we are. Shit. Uh, we're, we're recording uh, it on Thursday. Oh, and I. It, yep. Light plug for Cinema Arcade with uh, our pal Steve, because I, I really. He's going to have to do a show on this. Because these games are awful, by the way. Awful. Yeah, poor, poor man. You know how awful this game is? The developers knew that you would be so bored playing it that they give you a suicide option. <laughs> if you push start and select at the same time, both players, because it's a two-player co-op, die. <laughs> what? 
What kind of game is this? Is this like a, it's a side platformer? Airplane hangar platformer, yeah. a shitty, thoughtless platformer. And and it just, again, this is why I love the show. It's reminding me that we're in a small pop cultural world where you can't, I'll talk more about it on the Blues Brothers show, where you can't obsess over this really small amount of output for this many years because there's just not a lot going on. I had an SNL collection in uh, that I started this year or next year. I, and I'm going to collect everything that has ever come out related to SNL, including this stuff. So like, yeah, I could get most of the movies, any SNL person, a, a Jack Handy had a book. That's kind of it. Like there's like two books. And then I had to get the Blues Brothers games to complete my little shelf of SNL stuff. And I fucking hated it. It was like the- Because there, there's nothing Blues Brothers about this game. No. You could change the sprites to a happy tree frog and the records you collect to flies, and you're done. It's a completely it different is, it game. Is per, you could, you could, it's interchangeable with a fucking Wayne's World Super Nintendo game. Uh, oh, I'm hey, look. looking at the title screen. Why are they smiling? <laughs> <laughs> Famously reactive Blues Brothers. Yeah, uh, they're really known for having big, big reactions to things happening next to them, like musical numbers or houses exploding. Well, we got it. Like, let's hope the next game has a heavy hitter in it. Oh, great. It's a Mario game. Yeah. Big, giant asterisk. But it's Mario is missing. <laughs> One of the <laughs> few Mario games not made by Nintendo. Also known as why Nintendo doesn't license Mario over the last 30 years. Okay. Yeah. The Western market, like, we oh demand... Gosh. Of Carmen San Diego clone. Why not get Mario? But I just thought of it. Nintendo just was recovering from the Super Mario movie, which they licensed. <laughs> yeah. Out. Oh my. And then God. they've got this game as like within like a month of each other. Good lord! No wonder. Well, you can just so imagine people in the Nintendo boardroom, gentlemen. I think this is over. This whole Mario thing. <laughs> this has yeah. run its course. Uh, also, well, this... I mean, trends don't last forever. True. And in 1993, you could absolutely think Mario was going to be one of them. This has yeah. the stupidest plot. Okay. Bowser uses a portal to go into the real world. Rather than kidnapping Princess Peach, he takes all the landmarks, holds the landmarks hot, hot ransom so that he has enough money to melt the ice caps and flood the world. <laughs> uh... I mean, you, you could have just waited. You have questions, Diana? You have all the questions? <laughs> no, that's the uh, uh, science checks out. Yeah. <laughs> um, also out this week, Pocky and Rocky. Uh, Adorable. Legend of the Mystical Ninja mix, mixed with Smash TV. Yeah, very. it's charming. Uh, and I, I also love oh, this, the, this, the next game, Rock and Roll Racing. It's one of the earliest uses of licensed music I can recall in a video game. Hmm. I'm going to get flack for this, but I'm going to stand by it. This is a better 16-bit racing game than Super Mario Kart Ooh, for shit. the SNES. Uh, it is. Yeah, I mean, the isometric genre was sort of abandoned post-Mario Kart, but I love some of those games, like RC Pro-Am. Yeah, yeah. yeah if, if you played RC Pro-Am, you played this game. You yeah. hit people with lasers or missiles. You earn money to upgrade your car. It's it's a great 16-bit racing game. And pardon us for rehashing this, but <laughs> I promise we will never mention Family Dog again. <laughs> Family Dog Except is... on the Simpson episode where it says true. it's dead. Family Dog on Super Nintendo. It, it, this is one of those things... 
I, I maybe I've said this before, but I put together looking at this that like for my generation, pop culture failures can resonate longer because they had a Super Nintendo game and there weren't that many games out there. So you may eventually get to Family Dog or Cool World because, you know, games are expensive and there's not a lot of them. And uh, yeah, and if you got emulators, you end up being introduced to stuff. So I wonder how many people like, how this helped people remember Family Dog that it had a prominent Super Nintendo game uh, in the summer of 93. But I feel bad for the licensees. I can just picture them. I mean, should we license Tiny Toon Adventures mm. or Family Dog? I mean, they're both Steven Spielberg animated mm. shows. Let's just go with the Family Dog one because that's uh, that great Amazing Stories episode. It's, so, yeah, oh. we'll do that instead of uh, Tiny Toons, which went on to have like 20 great games. Yeah, that's yeah. Thanks to Konami. But uh yeah, Family Dog the game is also not good. <laughs> and a game I never get tired of mentioning, the first Battletoads is like, if you never heard the story, it, it's, it was so good and playable that it was demanded they make it harder because the rental market was starting to challenge uh, people buying games and they didn't want people to be able to finish Battletoads over the weekend. So Battletoads one is this beautiful game for the first three levels and then absurdly difficult and like, in my opinion, not fun. And Battletoads and Battle Maniacs is just pure fun. It is absolutely wonderful. Uh, it's I, without nostalgia, I think it's the superior game. It feels no, I, to me. I'm positive. It is. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's why it feels to me like it's a remake. Mm -hmm. Is it a remake? I couldn't no. tell. No, no. no? It, it, yeah, it's just got all this brand new shit in it. But it does do, like, the first-person stuff early on. Like, it's very creative. It, it, but it does more clever things later on, and it's actually fucking playable. Uh, and it's... It, it Without this game, I'm not sure that we would, ironically or not, remember the name Battletoads, because this is a genuinely great game. See, I really feel like all the references I still see in the modern era to the NES hardness of the original Battletoads. I feel like that's its lasting legacy. Uh, but I feel like they, they came out with a new game a while back, and I'm not sure there would have been much of a demand for that, because that game is much yeah. more similar to this one than it is to the original Battletoads. Especially with, like, a co-op. Just a simple co-op in the game. Anyway, moving on to music of 1993. Uh, what are we at? June 30th through July 5th? Am I getting that right? Um, we got That's the Way Love Goes by Janet Jackson at number one. And as some um, other new releases, including uh, In on the Kill Taker by Fugazi, no, uh, no World Order by Todd Rundgren, Julius Caesar by Smog, and a little album that nobody liked <laughs> called <laughs> Zoo Ropa by U2. Well, fewer people like this one. I know, I shouldn't have phrased it like that because this is a yeah, U2 album I don't like either. Yeah, because this is the follow up to Octon Baby, which is huge. They record it on a break from the tour uh, so yeah so, and they're heading in a different direction as, as usual they're, they're following into more electronic stuff but they also have a, a song with Johnny Cash true why not and a because. song with the edge singing uh, <laughs> yeah and yeah. the lead single start is the edge singing mm -hmm. and it has maybe one of the first documented cases of selfie taking in the video that I yeah. could remember like it, it just it hit me a while ago because you know the the video is just his head and he's Seeing talking as people camera. come as people come up and and you know interact with him and he, it's annoying to him and there's a lot of people with little disposable cameras trying to get selfies and I'm, 
thought back to how hard it was to get a selfie like that. You have oh, no God. idea if you oh, got any God. of it. Uh, Not a fucking clue. Uh, well, let's close out with numb as I, we remind ourselves of winding and holding cameras. Hoping a month later when we get them developed that the <laughs> selfie came out. We'll close out with numb, but don't go anywhere. We got to talk about some Terminator stuff when we get back. With Flying Without Wings by Ruben Studdard, which is number two on the charts this week. Right behind This is the Night by Clay Aiken, which is still number one. Do we need to reiterate the value and importance of American Idol 20 years ago? Holy shit. My God. Yeah, that makes it. We should release a movie. That's a great (laughs) idea. Uh, Silly. The money train will never end. Welcome to tw- the 20 segment of 302010, uh, 20 years ago during June 30th through July 6th. Other albums that came out were uh, things like Chapter 2 by Ashanti, Frail World's Collapse by As I Lay Dying, Michigan by Sufjan Stevens, uh, the first in his 50 album project that he gave up on after one album. What? One more yeah, album. He was going to do an album about every state. Oh, right. Uh, huh. I kind of like to hear that. That seems interesting to me. I like stuff like that. Well, there's a They Might Be Giants album that will take a lot less time to get through. Uh, Take a Break by Me First and the Gimme Gimmies. Uh, You Come Before You. Uh, You Come Before You by Poison the Well. And, of course, it wouldn't be 2003 without Vulture Street by Powderfinger. Uh, <laughs> obviously not things I've just read for the first time in my life. Other musical news. Uh, Lollapalooza returns after five years of absence. On the main stage is Jane's Addiction, which is uh, newly reformed. And uh, didn't Perry Farrell like sell Lollapalooza? Yeah, the lead singer Jane's Addiction started this whole thing. And I think he sold it or abandoned it. Uh, Perhaps the worst band name of all time, Audio Slave, is on stage. Uh, Incubus, Queens of the Stone Age, A Perfect Circle, Jurassic 5, The Donnas, Rooney and the Distillers are uh, heading to a Lollapalooza near you. Hope you like listening to music in parking lots. Uh, and uh, a little bit of news bringing a wonderful world of 20 years ago in lighter <laughs> news LA Lakers basketball star Kobe Bryant is arrested in Eagle Colorado for sexual assaults and charges that are eventually dismissed yeah uh, so when guys. he died yeah when he died there was a big conversation about whether to bring this up because he did die tragically he did leave behind dead uh, he did leave behind a grieving widow, grieving orphans. I'm on the side that you still got to bring it up. I really mm-hmm. do think uh, it, you don't get a pass for something like this. It is unfortunate that it couldn't go to court. Uh, the lady decided to not press forward because I'm sure she was treated with nothing but respect and kindness when you oh. uh, accuse a mm-hmm. sports star of uh, thank, sexual Thank God there Obviously, wasn't Twitter. she's getting, her name was leaked repeatedly. <laughs> she uh, never came forward, you know, publicly, but people found out who she was. She was sent threats. She was stalked. 
Kobe's lawyers went after her pretty hard saying, you know, that she's she's promiscuous. She had sex with some other guy recently. So therefore, this couldn't be rape. Yeah. Uh, everything you read about it, it sounds like he wasn't listening for a no. Let's just go with that. It's like, I don't think he was thinking, yes, and now I will overpower you. He thought it was consensual, but also he wasn't paying attention. And also he wasn't getting consent because he choked her. But he said, that's what I'm into. Uh, and that can be what you're into, but you got to get affirmative consent for that. Oh, oh I'm bummed. <laughs> yeah. So they did have a, a civil settlement. So she, she got some sort of payout, which is something not nothing but uh yeah remember yeah, i said sucks. earlier about bad lawyers we're lawyers involved here anyway oh, they were very bad lawyers let's move on to uh, a lighter subject like battle royale uh, <laughs> <laughs> movies of 2003 the I, I would say for like one of the most excited i was for a sequel because mm -hmm. while every other movie in the universe was digitally altering itself, removing it from the schedule to avoid any conjuring of 9-11 memories. Battle Royale 2 steered directly into them in 2003. And it's marred with its own kind of tragedy in, in that one, it's not very good or it's just not, <laughs> it, it can't be as fun as the original Battle Royale, uh, which if we're, it, Battle Royale, it's Hunger Games, before Hunger Games. Uh, right. And uh, it, it, I remember I, I got something dispelled for me because I saw I find I never saw a good looking version until I saw a print in movie theaters, and it had the reputation of being the most banned fucking movie ever. And the the projection the 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 guy displaying the movie is like no, just Japan. It did so well in Japan they were charging more than Titanic to. Oh. have this screen so it's not what it, there's no american body that bans films they wanted a shitload of money and no one no we're not touching this controversial movie about killing children for fun uh for titanic money it didn't get legally released yeah. one or two in the u.s until 2010 mm -hmm. so i first saw battle royale as a poster in a japan supermarket oh, that shit, i went right. to in the year 2000 right and i was like wow that seems very cool and even then on the internet i was like how do i get this and it was like you can't man and then i moved to japan and while there i considered renting it mm -hmm. but i was teaching junior high school <laughs> students at the time and so some part of me was just like i don't really want to get this and then time passed and I had never seen Battle Royale one or two until this week. Oh, and wow. I watched them back to back. Oh, two does not hold up back to back with one. It mm -hmm. is so much the inferior movie. I don't think it has a reason to exist. I mean, the the plot is, you know, the plot's the plot. You accept the Battle Royale universe or you don't. Well, it's, it's what, but from what I remember, the survivors of the first movie... Decide to do war on adults. Yes. It's like the little lamplighter from Fallout 3, except in a movie format. What if we had a society of only kids, man, and then we'll wage war against adults? But then they, Kids they are stupid. They, recruit, they are not good at shit. They recruit <laughs> other middle schoolers to fight 
the rebellion, the rebellion of other. So it's like a war, like a city war with eleven year olds. It's yeah, it's it's dumb. I mean, the battle royale concept is dumb in and of itself, but I can live in that world. Okay, you know, it's it's actually a very personal story. The author of Battle Royale, the novel, mm -hmm. uh, was a very young man when World War II ended, and he was. Uh, <sighs> forced to work in a factory and then uh his factory got shelled and it was very traumatic for him because then he found out oh everything i fought in was bullshit imperial japan mm -hmm. is a horrible state which is hated across asia to this day because of their mistreatment and he was like wow this sucks and he wrote a very personal novel uh, working through his feelings through that good on him it's a great work of literature Battle Royale 1 is a great movie. It's awesome. Battle Royale 2 should not exist. Big, mm. big thumbs down for me. And, and it created a big controversy in Japan because this the girl called Nevada Tan, uh, named because she was wearing a T-shirt that says Nevada, uh, and she wrote uh, Battle Royale fan fiction, very involved in the Battle Royale community, and you might see where this is going at the age of like 11, she killed a fellow classmate with one of those paper cutters. Oh, you know, whoa. <laughs> yeah. That's that you, oh that doesn't God. kill someone with one shot from a teen. Holy shit. Oh, oh yeah. my God. I did not know about that. I just I knew. knew that uh, I, the, the, the director of the, the first Battle Royale was working on this. Kenji Fukasaka, not, he shot one yeah. scene and died. Yeah, and then and then he died and his son took over. But because this isn't based on a manga or a novel or anything, they're just, they, they don't have, they don't know where they're going with mm -hmm. this. But oh my God. I, yeah, oh. I, that's the tragedy I was referencing, Diana. I did not know about Nevada 10. Um, no. Yeah. Holy Lord. And uh, Japan treated her with the utmost, uh, you know, sanctity by turning into her into a meme. So mm. Nevada 10 became a meme that apparently still exists to this day. Wow. I'm, have to, I'm Googling that after the show. Um, something else oh I had to Google God. this week was uh, Sinbad, Legend of the Seven Seas. Uh, a weird little movie from dreamworks animation um this is their their last one with traditional animation in it. it is literally the end of an era because i believe Je jeffrey katzenberg came into dreamworks with a lot of discarded disney ideas and that is kind of what they did Sh the original shrek is already out but that is the only cg movie they've put out so far and uh, but this will be the last one the brad pitt Catherine Zeta-Jones led Sinbad, Legend of the Seven Seas. I No one realized it at the time, mm -hmm. but the early 2000s were the golden age of adventure animated films. Yeah. We've had plenty of great animated musicals, animated comedies since then, but Atlantis, Treasure Planet, and this film are really some of the best, most amazing, pure on Balls to the walls. We are an adventure film in animated format, and we haven't seen much since then. Yeah, the, because... the best compliment I saw the movie get, because I didn't get a chance to see it, sadly, and I've only glimpsed it for a while, is it's having the fun of, like, matinee B-movies, but with effects and a budget of a major AAA <laughs> studio film, like something no Sinbad movie could ever hope to do. 
that's how it looks and what it presents to itself. And it's a neat little marriage of that. Let me hear from you Sinbad fans out there. Not the pajama jam guy. I, <laughs> the sailor. The famous sailor. So I did watch it this week and I had uh, zero nostalgia for it. Didn't see it at the time. There were parts when I was genuinely blown away by how inventive of an animated film mm-hmm. this is. If you love animation as an art form, you are going to be agape at Ares, the uh, ancient Greek goddess of discord and chaos in this film. She looks like smoke underwater, and that's animated. And it is amazing. I'm so glad you mentioned that, because like, as a big animation nerd, even I don't recall these movies very often, and I definitely don't rewatch them, but DreamWorks was fighting so hard against Disney. It's 2D animated stuff has some real brilliant shit in it that like it was something it was, they were innovating in a field people were just about to stop caring about. And it it is, I I love mentioning them for that reason. I wish they meant more to me, but I'm in my twenties now. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I do want to give a shout out to one specific scene with Aries, which blew me away. Okay. She's uh, pretending she's trying to frame Sinbad. Okay. Okay. So the standard thing to do in an animated film would just have her be morphed into Sinbad. Okay. Mm -hmm. That would be everyone in the audience would get it. Instead, this film chooses to have her make a puppet of Sinbad, manipulate the puppet, and then possess the puppet which is doing so many steps, but it is gorgeous and visually yeah. uh, artistic at showing you something in a new way. Like I have never seen uh, becoming someone else be presented as first a puppet and then possessing the puppet. But this film does it in a couple of seconds and it's gorgeous. They they did a lot of work on this film. Yeah, It's a shame it bombed because Jeffrey Katzenberg said... I think the idea of telling a traditional story using traditional animation is a thing of the past Oof. after this bombed. Mm. And he, he brought on the Aladdin writers to give it that treatment. Yep. And, oh, yeah. we're going to talk about them again later. Oh, uh, Ted Elliott and Terry Rossio. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, okay. They're but, popping up all over this episode. And it's a shame because, yeah, they're guys who can do adventure. Like yeah. they, they also did uh, Mask of Zorro, I think. Like, old-fashioned two-fisted adventure and we don't get we don't get that animated or live action anymore just we just don't get adventure movies so much i think this movie got an unfair rap because its competition next week is literally the worst movie for a sailor pirate movie to be competing against in all time right oh yeah yeah, from from the st- it's not a studio masquerading as something else, but yeah, DreamWorks would have to figure something else out, and it would big time, uh, right after Sinbad, uh, and then uh, I'm re- again. This is all right. Let's talk about a movie that does nothing new, <laughs> pushes no boundaries. There was so much I, nothing, I wanted to revisit nothing. this week, like more so than any other week. There was more shit I wanted to revisit this week because one of the movies I was most wrong about in the history of the show is Legally Blonde. I had a Amen. terrific time with that fucking movie. And then like, ah, the sequel's up. Oh, boy, I don't remember reading good things about this, and there's a lot to watch. So I didn't get to it. But uh, Jennifer Coolidge, Regina King, Bob Newhart, Luke Wilson, Sally Field, Reese Witherspoon, 
Legally Blonde 2, Red, White, and Blonde. They thought she couldn't cut it. Who are you? You can't win. You're fired, Al. What? They thought she wouldn't fight back. Don't cry, you can do this. Don't cry hard. They thought wrong. I don't think you're tough enough. Watch me. On July 2nd. I'm calling in reinforcements. Never underestimate a woman with a French manicure and a Harvard law degree. Reese Witherspoon. Speak up, America. Speak up for the land of the free gift we purchased. Legally Blonde 2. <laughs> Steve at the end. Uh, Yarf, Legally yep. Blonde 2. Yeah, I... Uh... I, I like the idea of escalating by sending her to Congress and there's things that you could do with that. They kind of don't. Um, she doesn't jokes... make it into Congress. She's a well, congressional no. aide. They could have right. done the route of she has the same name as a deceased Congress person. So that's why she wins or something like that. Yeah, they could actually actually put her in Congress, but also like giving her a cause Okay, yeah, she she needs to have a goal, but here it's like animal testing, which is kind of a heavy thing to be throwing into this, and they're just playing it very light. Of look at the cute chihuahua, like dude. But it's a cause that this character would go for. You can completely yeah. see this character going for that cause. What what would be a better cause that she could go for? National parks, hmm? camping, yeah, camping. glamping. She likes glamping. Prosecuting Kobe Bryant. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, obviously there's way harder things they could have. But yeah, save the puppies. We love puppies. Or yeah, a, a rare endangered bunny rabbit. Something that's cute. That that would kind of be fun. But yeah, it just it kind of feels like a retread of the first one, which is no big surprise. But without the jokes landing quite as well. Like, yeah, I was also really surprised how much I like Legally Blonde 1. And this is just sort of there. Unnecessary. So I haven't seen Legally Blonde 1. This is the only Legally Blonde movie <laughs> I've ever seen. And I enjoyed it a lot. So mm -hmm. maybe if you haven't seen one like me, then this is a recommend. Because uh, I'd heard your podcast about it. And I was like, that's interesting. But I never got around to see it. It wasn't a rehash but for you. It was just hash. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And it's good hash. It was funny. <laughs> I laughed. I found myself being drawn into the characters. It does end on a sequel bait where it's like she's going to move into the White House, which I got to say, I want to see. I want to see mm -hmm. the 20 years later sequel where she's president. I was a little yep. shocked that the series kind of petered out here, but it is you know important to mention that Reese Witherspoon would become one of the biggest movie stars of this decade, sort of based on this trajectory of Lily Blonde. And didn't mm -hmm. had the power to say no. And like, there isn't enough money in the world you can pay me to come back to this. The weirdest thing I've ever seen is I just looking at, there's a third Legally Blonde movie, Legally Blondes, about kids. And it says, mm -hmm. Reese Witherspoon presents Le <laughs> Legally Blondes without no. I think she might be in it. Yeah, and they've kicked around a couple times saying like, oh no, it's she's coming back like, you know, back like 2020. They said, oh yeah, we're working on one. It's like, yeah, and if I were Reese Witherspoon, you can hold out not just for money, but I, the script has to be what I want. Yeah. It has to be the best script I ever fucking saw. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, why would I do that? I, I don't need to do that. Yeah. 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 Doesn't need it. Doesn't need it. Uh, <sighs> I, I would. But I, but I still want a hot dog real bad. <laughs> I, I... Jennifer Coolidge See, getting was... a check always makes me happy. That was a so. decent Jennifer Coolidge, Diana. <laughs> I, I, there were funny moments. I'm, I'm recommending this. I granted it's new to me, so I don't yeah. know how. No, I, the the character of uh, what's her fucking name? 
Miss Blonde. I was way off base in what I thought the this the original movie was supposed to be about, and the character is much mm-hmm. more capable and less comedic fodder than the some of the TV spots made her out to be to me. Uh, so mm-hmm. yeah, it was it was legitimately shocking that the her character was treated with the, the kind of respect that she was because it's sort of the movie sort of presents itself as like ditz makes good instead of like <laughs> motivated no, funny woman does well like uh, no, don't yeah, judge a book by its cover yeah. you are allowed to like feminine things mm-hmm. and still succeed at your job this is a, yeah. a incredibly pro feminist mm-hmm. series yeah exactly it's it, it is confronting misogyny and our assumption that things that are girly and cute are stupid and incapable but mm. yeah she got into harvard law because it's not hard <laughs> <laughs> uh okay and then we'll move on to the sequel i know much more about uh a movie i really liked uh christina yeah. L- loken claire danes uh a lot of people forget she's in the series nick stall arnold schwarzenegger it is number one at the box office it's terminator 3 rise of the machines the perfect machine has met the perfect match. I like your gun. You must find a way to destroy her. She's a bombway effective killing machine. On July 2nd. Excuse me. I'll drive. Only one will be left standing. Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines. Ooh. Need a new vehicle. Uh, technically... Terminator 4, because James Cameron did make a Terminator 3, but for Universal Studios, and you can no longer watch it. Uh, I would love to have that experience again. I feel bad for people, Terminator fans who did not get to experience that. It's got to be on the internet somewhere, doesn't I, I it? I think so, but like the presentation was so amazing and involves so many practical effects going A T-1000 exploding and water effects as they fall on you. You walk into Cyberdyne. So cool. I remember it being amazing awesome. and great. And the intention for that was that it was supposed to be James Cameron's bridge. Yeah. It, he was directing that yes. going, okay, this is going to be my bridge to my final Terminator film. Yep. I don't know why they couldn't have made that work out. Because of Carla Combe. All of the amazing Terminator films were done by James Cameron. That's it. He is the secret ingredient. There are Terminator films with Arnold. There are Terminator films basically without Arnold. Mm -hmm. There are multiple directors. None of them have been amazing. James Cameron is the X factor. He he needed to do Terminator 3, and it's a great shame that he didn't. I would conversely say this is the best non-Cameron Terminator anything period. Yes. A thousand, a thousand and one percent. And I'm someone who actually liked part of that, uh, the one, the Christian Bale one. Uh, (laughs) And I have avoided every other one because no one has anything nice to say. Dark fate is is okay. The other two are fucking terrible. So why Cameron is not involved? Wow, you're the one. Yeah, I'm the one. (laughs) Yeah. So what? Why Cameron's not involved? Because he he doesn't feel like it. And why it took so long? Well, Cameron takes a long time to make movies. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've noticed that he makes a movie every twelve years or so. Yeah, right. Right right now he's capped at two. That's that's all you can get out of (laughs) him. And uh, so there was all kinds of bullshit with the rights, with the Carolco bankruptcy, and then like Carolco's 
got bought, but not the sequel rights, just their back catalog. And then like the guys from Carol Co. ended up bidding on their own stuff with Gail Ann Hurd, who was the producer, who was also James Cameron's ex-wife. And it just it was in development hell. Yep. It basically comes down to a bunch of money corporate bullshit is why this couldn't get done. And so when they finally got all the rights together, Cameron was like, eh, I don't feel like it, though. Yeah, but they, uh, they Schwarzenegger probably... feels like it if you cut him a $30 million yeah. check. I think this is and a... mm. if you change your uh, filming from Vancouver to California mm. because California. Arnold didn't mm -hmm. want people saying he took money out of state because he is running for yep. governor of California. And this is his swan song. Yeah. This is him saying goodbye to movie in the middle segment. We are not going to talk about Arnold again for anything but the news. This is his last appearance yeah. in the middle segment of the show. This, he, he basically is retiring from being a movie star to be a politician. And there's been some fun Arnold stuff since then. But like, you can't really disappear for that long and come back as an older action star, you know? It, it, I, uh, I, I still love Arnold. He was in charge of the eighth largest economy in the world. What a step down. <laughs> it yeah. wasn't entertaining to me. I wasn't there. Uh, I, I would have. Hey, we, we will talk about Arnold as the governor uh, coming uh, October, I think, is when that. But that yeah, this is. This, I think we can say easily this is his highest payday ever. And he had. <laughs> He had broken that record several times as the highest paid actor in film history, and it never gets higher than this. Yeah. Wow. So I, I, it makes sense. Like, I, I mean, you could have made this movie with just, it's a different Terminator. Like, pretty much all the Terminator, well, I guess T2 is kind of part of the point, is that so much of the early part of the movie, you think that he's trying to kill John Connor, and it turns out he's not. This one, again, he's protecting John Connor and Claire Danes. Uh, and then it turns out like, oh, he's actually been sent by Claire Danes in the future. Mm -hmm. And that's only he'll only listen to Claire Danes, which that's a good call. If you if you have to decide if you can listen to Nick Stahl or Claire Danes, you should listen to Claire Danes. <laughs> Nick Stahl has had a lot of problems. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel bad that he hasn't rebounded. 2003 is a hell of a year for him. We got Carnival coming up, yep. too. He's got to be starvish. Joe. Is, is and, there a John Connor curse? Because Eddie Furlong yeah. had some problems too. Yeah. I the, I yeah. Apparently they, they barely considered using him, which it would have been interesting to see. Yeah. Ironically, know, because he had substance abuse problems. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's a shame that they, they he couldn't come back. But it, that really would have been interesting. But it, what, what I will go to bat for is that, not only do I think it's it's incredibly well done. I, I was reading a bunch of interviews with uh, Jonathan Mostow, the director, uh, mm -hmm. and he was just sort of like, I knew we didn't, couldn't, there wasn't going to be a razzle-dazzle special effect that was going to bowl the entire culture over, that we couldn't do that. And in 2003, th like the CG is among the worst you'll ever see. The CD in this movie sometimes is pretty fucking awful, but the practical effects in, in this movie are like big Oof. of a 10 years ago kind of scale, huge. Uh, so, so, and usually like the big action sequence are like, they sprinkle some CG on top, but that is an exploding crane <laughs> and, and you, you mm -hmm. see it on film. And, and more especially, the Matrix had resonated to like everybody kung fuing everybody else. It was really great to see just giant heavy robots doing heavy robot things. <laughs> I'm going to pick up a urinal and break it over your face. 
Like, yeah. like the best, the best fuse weapon in Zelda. <laughs> Pick and it up by the stem. To me, in two thousand three, that was more appealing than it is today. I did this film a disservice. Mm-hmm. I rewatched it on my phone. Oh, you oh. know, and this is not the film you want to rewatch on your phone. I know that, but it was either that or nothing. So that was my option. And no, get a. Watch it on your giant screen TV. Do not do that because I I felt my interest waning and I had to like remind myself that I'm doing it a disservice by watching it in such a poor environment. But I I couldn't get past that. This is a spectacle movie Mm. and T2 is such the culmination of spectacle. It was the height of the action movie, in my opinion, that I couldn't feel this is anything but try hard. You know, it was like, well, what do we do now? I don't know. Female Terminator. Okay. She's, and she's got a gun hand. Okay. She's, she's got a, a titanium body and, and electrical pulse weapon powers. And, and, and don't forget the expandable boobs. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, it, well, that to- actually makes me crack up because she expands her boobs just because she got pulled over by a cop. And God, I wish I could do that. Yeah. Oh my God! I wish I could just think my boobs. Do well, let me a let me get, so I don't get this out ticket. of the way. When I talked about the Matrix being very influential, the original name for the TX was the Terminatrix, which is just so grown worthy, and they <laughs> erased that from the movie entirely, except from the 2003 DVD where it's in the subtitles where she's called the Terminatrix. But <laughs> but an, another thing, I, I I was reading some interviews with the director. He's obviously a massive Terminator fan. He knew there wasn't going to be a T-1000 special effect, but he did want to make like, yeah, I want to make a balls out, dire, sometimes dour Terminator film, but to like disarm people coming in with cross arms, James Cameron's not here, this isn't canon. He wanted to add more humor in. And that's that's about the only criticism I'll entertain from this movie because some of that stuff works and some of it doesn't, but it was intentionally done to be like, Relax, guys. Relax. Enjoy the Terminator movie. I will say that I think he deleted one of the funniest and best scenes in all of Terminator uh, movie dumb. I had yeah. I had this clip in here as well. You need to see it on YouTube because there's some things that aren't going to translate in audio. There's a, a behind the scenes 2003 presentation on these robots. Cyberdyne Skynet is going to bring out. It already looks like Arnold, but he sounds, it's based on what, a character named Sergeant Candy, but he has a different voice. (laughs) My bad. Oh, shit. No, never mind. Yeah, here, yes. Using designs generated by Skynet, we need no longer risk the well-being of our men and women in uniform. Robots will take their place on the front lines. Hi, I'm Chief Master Sergeant William Candy. I'm honored to be selected by CRS in the ongoing effort. This is coming out of Arnold's mouth, people. I don't know about that accent. We can fix it. (laughs) (laughs) It's a little too far. Yes, an executive who doesn't look like Arnold with his voice like, we can fix it. Uh, Yeah, it's a wonderful deleted scene. It really is. Um, because Uh, it it shows uh, this company creating all the stuff that would eventually be in the future sequences of Terminator, which they... But this movie ends in defeat. Spoilers. This movie ends with nuclear war happening. Yeah. 
that's a ballsy decision. It's in, I know? think it's incredible. It's an incredible way mm-hmm. to talk, in my opinion, about fade and time travel. Because I don't really like mm-hmm. the whole... I love talking about this movie in terms of time travel because it's like it's like the past and the future are having an evolving conversation. It doesn't make a ton of sense according to time most time travel logic, uh, but you don't have to think about that. James Cameron already established that's how it works. Things that happen in the past change what's happening in the future just enough yeah. to keep making Terminator movies over and over again. It's yeah. to keep going with the same plan. And- yeah, I like the idea that like you you can't stop judgment day you can continually delay it yes. and you can set up things so that afterwards things might be a little bit better yeah different leaders in charge certain people can survive and certain people don't survive but it's like yeah the idea that there's just you can just keep pushing it back and that's good we don't want trillions of people to die but yeah, yeah and it just yeah. It, it just like there's took, no winning my reading of it is just like if you take the face of any evil that you can imagine, like a Facebook, Elon Musk, Donald Trump, going back in time to murder them isn't going to create a race that evil. Like it, it takes a wider spirit yeah, it, in order to conquer. And the movie like wears that. I and, and crazy. If Mark Zuckerberg didn't exist, uh, we'd all be talking about the MySpace guy as yeah. the most evil force <laughs> in corporate America. Okay? Yeah. I'm not, I'm not saying that they're good forces. I'm just saying like there's a need for that too. We just might need to change as people to stop inviting this evil into our world. But but but, but, but again, that's, I think the movie, in reading with the director, they're like, how the fuck did you get that ending through? Because it's like the second Planet of the Apes. I can't think of anything else that destroys the entire world. And he's like, oh, because we had this conversation on a different podcast that you, you'll hear soon, but like that Terminator now, they're independent movies. They are not owned by the studio and it makes them very weird. It means the last couple Terminators have failed. So they just completely reboot them because no, none of the same people are involved because they, there's a bidding war and he's like, yeah, Warner brothers distributed the film, but they didn't, they didn't have any say No, And if it was that made it Warner brothers from the director, like they would have never let us do that ending, but because they didn't finance it, they just distributed it. We got to do whatever we want and we didn't leak what the ending was going to be or let them tell us what to do about it. Cause it's not a very Hollywood ending. We're like, no. Two people no. live, but everyone else does not. <laughs> and, yeah, but and, I thought it was a perfect ending for this movie. Uh, this movie had to end with the end of the world, and it's a gorgeous end of the world. It's been yeah. reused a bunch of time because it's such a perfect shot. Uh, like Smallville uses this exact one-to-one footage when they're showing <laughs> Lex Luthor starting a nuclear war because it, it looks perfect. And, and what I was wow. excited about as like a Terminator fan is like, it seemed like the ending of this film was the beginning of an all future sequence Terminator movie, which it was <laughs> by the mm-hmm. Charlie's Angels full throttle guy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> just very boring. But uh, yeah, I still think Salvation has a couple good parts, but I, I think Genesis has a few good parts and I will defend it in two years. Oh, it's Nothing. trying to yeah, remake just, Terminator feel, two by I, unmaking it. It's awful. Yeah. Mm. Uh, I, I feel bad for Jonathan Mostow, the director, because like those are huge shoes to fill and he's coming off a U five, seven, one, which is a fun movie, but it doesn't have set pieces. This goddamn big. And I think he does a really good job. And then, 
I don't know what happened where because he couldn't get a movie made for years. Mm-hmm. You know, this does very well and he does a good job with it. And then he makes surrogates, which bombs so hard. He's like basically never made it since then. This movie gets an unfair rap yeah. and it was dissed heavily in the Robocop versus Terminator rap. Bastard, bastard! Like ro- like <laughs> RoboCop doesn't have any bad sequels. Shut up! Oh, please. Well, well, the response to that is your trilogy failed Detroit worse than the automobile industry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think this is it's a really solid action movie, and uh, the only other director anecdote because I wanted to hear everything this director had to say for a reason I'll get to in a second because. He's like, uh, when, when we talk about Terminator Salvation, I was at the Comic-Con panel that McGee was hosting about Terminator Salvation. And I never heard him say this anywhere else. It, it, so, I think someone asked, did James Cameron give you any advice uh, on making a Terminator movie? And he's like, I called James Cameron. And he's like, I've been offered this and I don't want to take this movie without your blessing. So it would mean a lot to me if I could get your blessing to make this Terminator film. And he's like, Fuck no. <laughs> James Cameron did not give McGee the blessing, but uh, Jonathan Mosta, there was an interview. They asked him, like, did you ever talk to James Cameron about what he thought about Terminator 3? And it's actually the movie he had the most positive things to say about. And I loved his response. It's like, I'm very sorry, but he did. I just don't remember what they were. But I know he didn't hate it because he tried to hire me to direct one of his projects. So that's what James Cameron felt about Terminator 3. He wanted to hire the director. So shut up about it. The the criticism I accept is some of the funny stuff works. Some of it doesn't nowadays. Uh, But uh, my my biggest complaint, because I haven't watched this in a while, but I had it on DVD. I watched it a lot. I think it's a great film. Um, It has one of the worst songs I've ever heard in my life in the soundtrack. And the soundtrack is weird. Because it's, we were talking about it off mic. Base it has one of the best movie themes in history, and then like a, the Village People in a a song that is the Blue Man Group featuring Gavin Rossdale, like <laughs> that is what plays over the credits. But wow. then when they go into the uh, gas station, which is the same gas station scene in Terminator One and Two, this song is playing, attributed to William Randolph the Third. That is the worst song I've ever heard in my entire <laughs> life. And this time I was dead set on what the fuck is this and why is this here? It sounds like my mother trying to impersonate Lincoln Park. It's like, it, it's, it's so awful. Like what? And then I look it up and like lyrics written by Jonathan Mostow. The director wrote this song and I don't know that the person attributed to singing it exists. So I'm, this is officially me crowdsourcing this. What the fuck is this? And why why was why did you write a song for to play in the gas station of the Terminator movie? It could have just been silent. It bothers me every time I see the movie how bad this song is. Why is this playing? That funky man is what it's called. Who who made this and why? I must know. Let's see the directors on Twitter. Uh anyway, Terminator 3, I'm giving it a high recommend, especially for people who may have been avoiding it for feeling like sacrilegious to the Terminator series or the Terminator series 
Cameronless, and I'm just like, if you count the Sarah Connor Chronicles, the overwhelming majority of Terminator has been Cameronless, and he, yeah. he came aboard mm-hmm. to produce the latest movie. We'll see if that happens again, because I imagine they just tossed him a ton of money to do some press interviews and uh, weigh in on the script here and there. And again, I think that's the second best non-Cameron directed Terminator movie there is. I'm not shitting on it. I just don't know if his if his heart's in it anymore. Uh, anyway, Terminator Three, I'm recommending it. Man, um, would I really want to see in my Terminator sequel? Hmm. No CGI. Just get some of those real life robots from. Uh, uh, like a, Boston Dynamics? Boston oh, Dynamics. Gross. Just With the, get the a robot couple of, Exactly. Get a bunch of Boston Dynamic robots mm-hmm. and ha- and fight them without CGI. <laughs> that's that's what I want to see. They're already terrifying. You wouldn't need to hire... The, there's Again, there's a great Arnold uh, limited series documentary on Netflix right now to promote his awful show, uh, FUBAR, but it's a great profile on Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, but he's... He owes all of his fame to being cast in this movie as the monster. And on, the, only the first movie is a monster movie. I love that about it. And uh, I, I have so much to say about Terminator because it's working for Europeans. It's popular here. Terminator two is popular, but like older people and globally Terminator is huge, which is why they keep trying to make more of them. It is very, very big all over the world, uh, especially yeah. with older folks. Because I, Terminator and 1, yeah, I've seen like three times. Terminator 2, I've seen a thousand times. The brand recognition is perfect. It's a one word. Yeah, Terminator. Yeah. I know exactly what I'm getting. Yeah. Terminator. Uh, yeah. Love it. I love it. Uh, I'll stop talking about it because we really got to get to the one thing in TV from <laughs> 20 years ago, <laughs> June 30th through I July 5th. I stretch to find this, y'all. This this is a reach, but I didn't want it to be nothing. Again, it, nothing. It's, it's HBO presenting us something, something, anything to watch in the summer. Because again, it's mostly, even 20 years ago, it's reality shows. I think Simon Cowell has launched Cupid, a dating reality show. This is me making a wank motion off mic. Uh, but Sex in the City has its Christmas episode, the perfect present. Yeah, it's Christmas in July. I mean, it's the HBO thing. They don't, they aren't airing in December unless that's your normal thing. So they're just mm-hmm. throwing up a Christmas episode. But it's not very good. The most interesting <laughs> aspect about it is that it's a Christmas episode is in July. There. Hey, we got something mm-hmm. in there. Um, yep. Yeah. Well, I think. Well, I have an interesting. Thing. like i looked into this one like wait which one is this one and uh because charlotte is about to finish her conversion to judaism she realizes oh, i might miss christmas and uh, as a jew i can tell you believe me it doesn't go anywhere you can't <laughs> avoid christmas even if it's not in your house there's a lot of christmas and they're in new york i mean come on yeah for real God, Christmas in New York is cool. I only got to see it on Thanksgiving. Uh, 2003 <laughs> video games. Um, I, I should say that. like, uh, The Terminator lore has officially been fucked with to the point of being completely unrecognizable. Like every new movie reboots something or uncanonizes something. Every new movie. Uh, in Terminator 3, Sarah Connor is dead. In Terminator 6, Sarah Connor is the star. Uh, for, for instance, but this had a lot of uh, coincide- time travel. That's the beauty of it. You can just keep changing things however you want because this, it's a temporal war. This Each is why time you, you like, go back, uh, you change something, and then you have to fight the new thing you created. 
This is why it likes Terminator Genesis. Don't listen to JR. Uh, but but th- this had the most accompanying video games and uh, comic book tie-in. So that Terminator got a lot of lore that all is meant to be part of the same series. This is kind of the last time that'll happen um, through the video games and all the, all the other stuff. So, But I didn't see... Yeah, there's not a Terminator 3 game on this list. But I think there's two, eventually. We What we do have, 20 years ago in video games... Ape Escape 2 on PS2. I'm not <laughs> laughing because the segue. I love Ape Escape. Uh, Ape Escape 2 is just as fun and kind of like, that's enough series. I've, <laughs> I've, had, enough, uh, I've had enough of G-rated capturing the apes. Uh, and I think that was the public's theory. This, the franchise sort of petered out despite being iconic uh, and appearing in Metal Gear at some point. The Simpsons Road Rage appears on GBA. I hate the name because I always confuse this with the much better Simpsons hit and run. This is their crazy taxi ripoff, I believe. Uh, yeah, and GBA should not have 3D driving games. I'm sorry. I just, I think it's a horrible format for that. Mm-hmm. I mean, unless, for fans of super low frame rate, though, think about them, JR. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, we were dancing around it. A little game called Pirates of the Caribbean is out on Xbox. <laughs> Which I forget when Pirates of the Caribbean stopped getting games other than Lego stuff, but not it's not now. It's not 20 years ago. So maybe we'll have something to talk about this next week about Pirates. I don't know. Hmm. I was going to mention this it a, a pretty, lot in the next segment. <laughs> yeah, this is a pretty decent game in and of itself, though. It just shipped a month or two months early. There's a lot of debugging, but... If you are a fan of Pirates of the Caribbean, even though this is a 20-year-old game, it does a pretty good job of putting you in that world. Uh, mm. Look it up on mm. eBay or something, because it's it's decent. Oh, uh, and, and then we have a rare book. What did I say our books earlier? Comic books. Still books. And a comic book from 20 years ago, Superman Red Sun, which I think got me Whoa. reading Superman Hell again. yeah. Yeah, very uh, interesting Elseworlds tale of what if Superman's little crib ship <laughs> landed in Russia and not the United States? Because Superman fell in love with America pretty hard. I'm just saying, he, he can imprint very easily those Kryptonians. And yeah, well, and that's I mean, what happens in this mm-hmm. book. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, instead of fighting for truth, justice in the American way, he is the champion of the common worker who fights a never-ending battle for Stalin's socialism <laughs> and the international expansion of the Warsaw Pact. It's a little wordy. Uh, I think they should work on that. Stalin's socialism and something else with us. Come on. Come on. Come on. <laughs> yeah, I, I meant to, there's a adaptation, I think, on HBO Max I haven't seen. But uh, yeah, Superman Red Sun... Yeah, I- haven't seen the adaptation on HBO Max, but I remember just adoring this. And I'm not a Superman film fan, honestly. I don't really read a lot of his comic books, but I remember this as being a really good comic book. Yeah, but I, I, I think it, it's easy to yeah. say, I don't think Superman Superman's comics were in the headlines as much since the death of Superman until Red Sun came out, because it was, guess what, a controversial... I thought people would never be as afraid as communism as they used to be. But <laughs> then I hear mm-hmm. elected officials talk in 2023 and you'd think it's rapping down our door all the time. Uh, but yeah. I, ne- I did not ever look into this. What did Russia think about 
<laughs> portrayal oh, of Superman is they Russian. hated it. The, the clip we may not want to play because it's all in Russian. Oh, but okay. it's a uh, no. Russian official after Russian official just saying, ah, this is Russophobia and uh, how dare they make uh, uh, the Soviet Union look bad because yeah. the Soviet Union was bad, you dumbasses. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, but let's close out this wonderful 2003 segment. With Rock With You, I really saw that as Rock We You by Ashanti. Rock With You <laughs> by Ashanti. Uh, she's not yet. Yeah, I could have sold the Wii U 12 more copies, yeah. <laughs> which would have doubled its lifetime sales. I want to rock with you. With it. Take us out, Ashanti. We'll be back 10 years later. That's not a good outro. It's time for Diana's Classic Corner. We go even further back in time this week to see if there's anything worth a watching. And for the week of June 30th through July 6th, and do we have stuff to talk about? Yes. Is it 4th of July related? No, not even a little bit. But let's talk about 90 years ago this week. I want to make a recommendation of a 90-year-old comedy because we are running out of pre censorship code movies from the 30s but 1933 saw the release of babyface starring barbara stanwick which is one of the more risque films that hollywood ever put out back in the day it is about a young sex worker who has been forced into sex work as a teenager by her dad and um realizes that men are taking advantage of her and she flips that around and she basically starts <laughs> fucking her way through rich socialites and gaining more and more power. The idea that, oh yeah, a woman owning her sexuality and exploiting men with it is like unconscionable in the 30s, but god damn it, they, they did it, they got away with it, and it's kind of why we have a censorship code because of movies like this, and that sticks around for like 30-something years. It was a, a big old hit, Barbara Stanwyck so so cute yeah she looks kind of young though but i looked it up no she's she's in her mid-20s but like she's like living in a speakeasy and she has like a black friend that she treats with some manner of respect and yep she's just using her sexiness and sexuality to get what she wants god damn it i think you'll be a little bit shocked if you haven't seen old-timey movies how they can get a bit naughty so yeah, Babyface from 1933. And then skipping ahead to turning 70 this week, I might tag Chris in here because I know you're a big Dr. Seuss fan. Ooh. The only live action film Dr. Seuss ever made, The 5,000 Fingers of Dr. T comes out this week. What a weird fucking movie. I just watched it recently for some reason. Uh, it is haunting. It probably shouldn't exist. But the fact that it does means if you're into getting high and watching silly stuff from the past, it doesn't get much sillier than 5,000 Fingers of Dr. T. It is so, so goofy. So a uh, little kid who becomes starts taking piano lessons from uh, Dr. Terwilliker, who's played by Hans Conried, who you will recognize his voice yes. right away. Is he Captain Hook? He's Captain Hook. He's Snidely Whiplash. Yeah. He, he's I, yeah I, I that instantly like shook me out of like a passive viewing like holy shit I've never seen this voice this voice actor's face before it's very jarring I love Peter Pan anyway yep. 
So, yeah, and he, he builds a giant piano that he wants 500 boys to play simultaneously. He's kind of running a weird piano lesson-based cult. Eventually, he has something of a dance-slash-wizard battle with a plumber. It is really... People are wearing hats with hands on. It's so, so goofy. And this is right as Dr. Seuss is, like, starting to write the books that we know him for. I think he's written... Uh, the Hats of Bartholomew Cubbins and uh, Ublek. And yeah, it's it's 53, so it's a little bit before Green Eggs and Ham, which I think is like 1960 or so. So like Dr. Seuss's thing is kind of, it's sort of there, but it sort of isn't. But it's like, I can't think of who else would have written this because it's just so freaking weird. So 5,000 Fingers of Dr. T. Uh, if you got weird kids, they'll probably like it. Or yeah, like Chris said, you could, you know, get high and watch it yourself and God, it's weird. Marvel at the it's blackface. So <laughs> yeah, it's always, yeah, it's always just sitting there as a landmine in old timing movies. But, uh, yeah, 5,000 Fingers of Dr. T. I, there's nothing else like it. It is so freaking strange. And that's it for this week. Stay classy. Uh, Blue told me, remind you niggas. Uh, fuck that shit y'all talking about. I'm the nigga. Caught up in all these lights and cameras, uh, but look what that shit did to Hammer, uh. Black Hammer, I like, like. Right lights is enticing, but look what it did to Tyson. All that money in one night, 30 mil for one fight. As soon as Coming into 2013 with Holy Grail by Jay-Z off of Magna Carta. Holy Grail. Oh, Magna Carta, Holy Grail. That's the name of the album. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, uh. Mr. Carter, uh, Jay-Z's bringing us in, but other albums out this week include Collapsible Lung by Reliant K, uh, Self-Titled Album by Sierra, and Don't Look Down by Skylar Gray, Blurred, Ryan, Blind, Blurred Lines by Robin Thicke featuring T.I. and Pharrell is still number one. Oh! Yeah. It just just like 93, where it's like, oh, there's a U2 album coming out? No one else is coming out this week. Yeah. It's the same thing. Oh, Jay-Z's got an album out? Yeah, I can wait a week. Mm-hmm. Hold my stuff. So 10 years ago, Here's a little bit of the news that was happening to remind you what was going on, where you were maybe, what you were doing. Hope you weren't in Egypt, because demonstrations across uh, that country, with 15 million people calling for the resignation of the president, Mohamed Morsi. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, this worked out great for everybody. So there was the Arab Spring in 2011, and that overthrew the government that had been there for a billion years, autocratic government. Then we get Mohamed Morsi comes in, and he starts making things like making more deals with Muslim Brotherhood and being a little more Islamist and big popular uprising. They get rid of him and then they end up with uh, a military dictatorship since basically. Yeah. Yeah. This demonstration is why Egypt is moving their capital from Cairo, which has been the capital of Egypt for over a thousand years to a completely new city. They are building. Whoa. Mm-hmm. Did not know anything this, about that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Guess the name of Egypt's new capital city. Uh, New Egypt? Egypt City. Kanye. New administrative capital. What type of sci-fi <laughs> bullshit? That is like, yes, 
We are horrible totalitarian state. You live in new administrative capital. What a god-awful name is that? I mean, Cairo, it's it's been the capital for a thousand years. The problem is there's a lot of people in Cairo. So if anything goes wrong, you can get massive demonstrations like what happened here. So they're moving the seats of government 50 miles to the middle of nowhere and building an entire new mini city to house the government also that if there's another protest uh well it's 50 miles away i don't really want to go Walls there come up. i, I did yeah. not get v for vendetta vibes until that last two those last two sentences just mm. where the uh, the leader of the country hides underground and never emerges yeah oh. i think they should call it sacramento because it's the same thing i think they should call it what being born and raised in the south every southern state has a cairo spelled exactly exactly the same cairo georgia cairo florida cairo alabama it should be cairo and it should be spelled with a k an r and an o because i'm not going down a knack no it's never going to sound cool uh this is cool though doge memes become popular Ten years ago, Elon. Uh, but but I'm yeah. But I'm happy to report. I think that dog is still alive. Yeah, Caboso is uh, 15. 15. I believe she's she she, she. is still going. Such cute, heckin' great. Amazing, heckin' great. And uh, <laughs> celebrity coupling news: Avril Lavigne and Nickelback's Chad Kroger tie the knot on Canada Day and are still together. Ten years I, later. Th- that they got married on Canada Day blows my fucking mind. I, how was that not the lead part of every story? Like, we have th- two huge Canadian pop stars somewhat derided, and they're married. They, but they're so Canadian, and they marry on Canada, Canada Day. Day. I One of my favorite tweets, the newlyweds asked that in lieu of gifts that you please not laugh at them. <laughs> i can't give it to him i can't i'd like to i don't know why it's so funny i really don't uh but congrats to what are we calling them chavril is it (laughs) they have a couple names because they should chavril go with chavril Chavril. i like that okay uh and then let's move on to movies of 2013 if we must, Jesus Christ. Uh, first up, Nat Wolf, Logan Lerman, Lily Collins, Jennifer Connelly, Greg Kinnear, stuck in love. What decade is this? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's one of those like independent movies that has like this huge cast of like good people. And you're like, how did this happen? Because this movie sounds average, fine, whatever. Like uh, Greg Kinnear and Jennifer Connelly, you know, used to be married and he's still sort of obsessed with her, but you know, and his kids are having issues and they're moving on with their lives, their lives, their loves, their losses, their struggles. It's a good adult movie. It is. It's tackling an adult subject. I watched it. I liked it. It's serious with some lighthearted moments, but then they biff the ending. Okay. Spoilers. They have Greg Kinnear finally, finally come to terms with the fact that his wife divorced him She's moved on and he needs to move on, which is the whole thrust of the film. And I thought it was beautiful. And then they just pull the rug out on over you and have her come coming back to him. And that's just Aww. like, oh, come on. You were doing so well at being adult, but you're making this you're, you're destroying the entire growth he had. Nah, I hate that. People get divorced for a reason. 
<laughs> and uh, next up, we have Kevin Hart. Let me explain a kind of Kevin Hart concert movie. With it's a plot. concert movie. It's a hundred percent. I know it just, movie. but it has like a weird plot. And uh, the reviews I saw, like, there's not as much stand up as you. There's plenty of stand up in it, but less than you think for a stand up comedy film. Well, the stand up is an hour, and everything else is filler to get it into movie theaters. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's. It's good stand-up if you like Kevin Hart and, you know, he fills Madison Square Garden. Yeah. How many comedians fucking can nuts. fill Madison Square Garden? Also, he has fire, yo. What? <laughs> yeah, during his stand-up routine, he's like, uh, I love all these rock bands. They always come out on fire and they got big fire jets coming out and it's really super <laughs> awesome. Why don't ever comedians have fire? Boom, flames burst <laughs> up. <laughs> Oh, that's exactly what I would do if I, if I had that pull. <laughs> you could fill Madison Square Garden. Yeah, you get fire. That's, oh, that's yeah. one of the bylaws. Yeah, yeah. Fire lasers. It would just be like a laser Zeppelin show at a at a planetarium, but with me in it. <laughs> and, oh my, I don't even know what to do. I was ex- When I watched this, I was excited to talk about it, but I get depressed the more I think about it. If each passing day... James yes. Frayne, Tom Wilkinson, Barry Pepper, James Badgedale, Helena Bonham Carter, William Fitzner, no, Ruth Wilson, Johnny Depp, Army Hammer. Mm. Ladies and gentlemen, it's the Lone Ranger. From the team that brought you Pirates of the Caribbean. Vision told me a great warrior would help me on my quest. The time for justice has finally come. Let's do this. This 4th of July, witness the rise of an American legend. He's coming for you. The Lone Ranger. Why? Like, this is... Because every day you walk down the streets and 95-year-old men are mumbling to themselves, (laughs) when are they going to give me my Lone Ranger movie? So I... I... This is a good property that could have been a good movie, but they made so many mistakes. Now, there are some things I will defend in this movie, yeah. but here's, I, I, I can put my finger on what the problem is. The problem is Captain Jack Tonto. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, which is the only, like, the only reason it happened in my yes. opinion, is is force. And I can't find, I, I, I meant to find more information. Like, why did Johnny Depp want to do this? When they announced this film, he came out dressed as Tonto to announce it, as if to say, like, this is happening and it's not going to change. I don't care what the, because it, it's only 10 years ago. The criticism was there. Why is Johnny Depp playing a Native American? And right. Yeah, well, it's it's the Elizabeth Warren defense. I have this tiny, tiny percent of Native American, therefore I'm Native American. That's not actually how the tribal system works. It's not their belief. And by and large, it's not what white people believe either. So it's it's really not a great defense, in my opinion. Yeah. So that would have improved the movie about 40% right there. If you had had a, a Native American actor, fucking Adam Beach is right there, man. You get a Native American actor and... The character is serious, like on the original Lone Ranger show and serials and radio. He's 
obviously he's a noble savage kind of stereotype, mm -hmm. which you can fix though. You can fix. He's right. he's a good guy. He's loyal. He tries hard. He's smart. And and, and instead, and there's a throwaway can... line about him, just another Native American. Like he's not one of us. So like, oh, yeah. is this a white guy in face paint? Is, <laughs> is this how we're acknowledging this? See, I actually have more respect for that if they were like, yeah, that's a white guy who wandered into our but tribe then you're just and claimed cutting to out be one of native. like you're cutting out American cultures one of their most recognizable Native yeah. American characters. Don't get me yeah. wrong. You should not cast Tonto, who is the most famous Native American in Western media, as a white guy. That is stupid. That is dumb. Yeah. I'm just and trying also, to think if you had Johnny Depp, is there any way you could make it less bad? Well, yeah, because he's also, he's crazy. He's largely comic relief. He's basically being Jack Sparrow. See, I, yeah, yeah. That's the and big that's problem with this big problem right i i see their thinking they're thinking of was hey we brought back the freaking pirate genre which was nothing why can't we do it the same for western and i wish someone would make that movie because 310 to yuma amazing yes. 21st century western true grit amazing 21st century western both dark though where is yeah. my 21st century Fun, happy adventure western. It, I don't know if that's been made. It's because nope. it's not really a kid's genre anymore. I think what the Lone Ranger was was supplanted by superheroes. And mm. once again, here's your... I'll just call myself a Disney fan pre-acquisition of everything. Just being fascinated by the studio's culture. I mentioned the anniversary of Roger Rabbit. And Spielberg, base, and Zemeckis getting away with fucking murder because the Disney live action unit is struggling. So we're going to reach out to these higher powered people who hopefully give us a hit. And I think because of pirates, Jerry Bruckheimer, Gore Verbinski and Johnny Depp were given way outsized power in the Disney company. Cause this had yeah. been in the Bruckheimer production mill for like 20 fucking years. Cause there was no demand for this at all, at all. Like I, as a kid, I remember playing Lone Ranger on the NES, like, why did I rent this? I don't know anything. About, I don't know anything about the Lone Ranger other than the theme song, which is the public domain William Tell Overture. And that's yeah. like one of the only <laughs> scenes I liked in the movie is when they start using the theme. Uh, yeah. So the other, there is also, I mean, there's several problems. There's also like the tone shifts very wildly and that, and there's a lot of subplots that kind of don't get developed in the characters. You're like, well, why is he doing that? I don't know. There's like a couple too many bad guys and like, okay, they're working together, but do I care? I don't know. But to have something like it's kind of light and goofy and silly. And then to have, you know, a massacre of an entire native American village caused by a child and the guilt weighing on him is like, okay, we're in the wrong movie. Guys. I just kept like everything yeah. I wrote at the top underneath the Lone Ranger, the most unnecessary movie I've ever seen. Like yeah. all of every t and every time something happened, like, what was that necessary? And, and like my real, it what it's not profound, but it felt profound to me is that the people making this are so fucking talented. I don't think the movie is technically bad. It's if anything, it shows that like, but it's it has no soul. It it sucks mm. and, and and like it doesn't need to exist. And these very talented people can make movies in their sleep with four hundred million dollars. Uh, so they could do anything. There's a there's a good movie 
buried in here. There is. Yes. You got to get rid of Depp. You got to give Tonto to a Native American. You've got to change a bunch of the things. You got to cut it down to 90 minutes. Okay? Yeah. Not every mm-hmm. movie has yeah. to be Lord of the Rings. I mean, well, it does now. The Lone Ranger should not be this huge, giant, sprawling epic. It should be a quick, fun, action-adventure western. And I think you can make that movie with the bones of this because a number of these action scenes are great. There's a couple of great oh, character yeah. moments with, uh, William Fickner, Mrs. <laughs> Carter. Uh, she's like, I want revenge. And then it pans up and you see a picture of her as a dancer and she's got a prosthetic leg and you're like, Oh, I understand your motivations instantly. Now, well done movie more of that, please. But it doesn't give it to you. It just tries too yeah. hard. And, I'm, I'm I'm just I'm disappointed because I, we're bringing him up again. Uh, Ted Elliott and Terry Rossio, who yeah. worked on Aladdin, they worked on this, uh, and then it got polished by uh, another guy. But but they did Mask of Zorro, and that's what this movie should be. That has just the right tone of we have some serious stuff, but generally it is an adventure. We understand where we're going, who our characters are, how they get there. We're you know it, it's it's not two and a half hours long. Uh, and, and, and Zorro and the Lone Ranger are practically the same guy. <laughs> There's a lot of similarities. And they're basically if, Batman. If you told me yeah. their real name, you could lie. Yes, you could lie completely about whatever their Bruce Wayne name is. I, I wouldn't have. And that's the thing. Like, I am a fucking pop culture. Like, I am the f- fattest, morbidly obese in pop culture interest and in, in, in knowledge. I felt myself so angry, like, Watching this for the first time, oh, this is an origin story. I don't, I didn't <laughs> want this to begin with. Like, I don't want to learn where this character I don't care about at all came from, or if this is fucking canonical with the radio show. I even like yeah. asked my dad, like, he's like, even I was a little too old for the Lone Ranger radio show. And well, like, yeah, his heydays were, you know, the 1930s to the 1950s. That's it. And that's, yeah, that's and what I can't be- find. Like, how was Johnny Depp a fan of this? He's not that much older than me. There should be. He should have no exposure to this at all. And and and, and so and so it's up, what I was saying I earlier. I th- I would theorize young. that this is to keep the pirates thing going, which Johnny Depp is constantly talking. He's talking right now. Like I'll never do another one. Why? I don't know. Like he shouldn't have done three of them. I don't think he cares about artistic merit, but he also doesn't care about money. But it, to keep him interested in what he wants to do, and he seemed very interested in doing this, and I. Because I wanted to talk, like, oh, this is why Disney bought Marvel. Because it, if you look at Disney's live-action product from, like, five years ago, like, Cheetah Girls, it's, like, little, small, low-budget movies that don't make a ton of, hey. They bought Marvel three years before this. So, like, I don't get this at all. <laughs> like, why does this exist? This is not even her character. It's a swing for the fences, I guess. Like you said, it, it worked for pirates. I, it, I, yeah, it, I, I think it was to keep know, the... And it's, it's big expensive spectacle and that's the, yeah, I mean, this the one thing one that... of the highest budgeted films of all time it's in yeah. the list it makes no yeah. sense because it, until like the ending sequence which is rather fucking Fant- amazing fantastic there is no spectacle in this for the most part like it, it's it's a really dull looking movie for a long time <laughs> I, I, a lot of it's very pretty i mean they're, they're I definitely think it's a gorgeous movie if they're it's used, showing they're the using West. the landscape oh yeah they're, they're nailing the landscape and and the vastness of the west and the, kids, the open promises kids and, love landscape uh, <laughs> but yeah then it just 
yeah, the action sequences are all fucking great, especially the one at the end with the trains and jumping and crashing. And, yeah. Like, th- and, this song yeah, shouldn't work, but it does. And you're like, fuck yeah. Hell yeah, this could play but for an hour. This lost so much money. Yeah. yeah. Uh, probably about $200 million this uh, lost. Which I, makes it one of the biggest financial bombs of all time. Yeah. John Carter has so much more reason to exist. And I think yes. maybe a worse, <laughs> technically a worse movie. But making, I think it. I think John Carter is a worse film than this film. If you don't mind Johnny Depp, and if you cannot get past Johnny Depp, you have absolutely him. every right in the world to not get past that. But if you can get past that, I think this is better than John Carter. But because this is like even mildly passable, infuriates me to no end. It makes like do these this medium I love is it this formulaic? You can just do this with enough money, like make a passable Lone Ranger. But why? Why would you do that? Do you have plans for the Lone Ranger, Disney? You just bought Star Wars. What is the fucking point of this? <laughs> what, what is the fucking point? Well, they have to do something until they start making the Star Wars. You know, this was in the process for probably pre-Star Wars. No, I, I, as yeah. far back as uh, I, I see it entering into the Disney company somewhere in the 2010s. I believe, but it was it was at Bruckheimer, the Bruckheimer Studios for decades before that. Like they've been trying to make it forever, and and I think they wanted them they wanted that pirate shit to keep going so badly. Like, all right, like we can blow two hundred million dollars if you if we can get two more pirates movies, we'll not have lost money. Unbelievable pirates movies with Johnny Depp. It makes no sense. I can't figure it out. Please, listeners, point me to the interview. Are these people big fans of the Lone Ranger? I don't get it. Because I, I think <laughs> I think George Lucas's parents grew up listening to Lone Ranger. I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't, why? So I did do a little dive into this to find out what other versions of this. So before this many. version, you know, with the success of the Antonio Banderas, uh, Catherine Zeta Jones uh, Zorro films, mm-hmm. they were planning on having Tonto be a female. Oh, wow. Not but that, that just shows that they were trying to capture the Zorro film's energy. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yep. No, I mean, the it, some of the, the, what is this relationship is right there. Like, the origin story is that his brother is a Texas Ranger and he's killed. And so, and like, Tonto becomes like a surrogate brother. Like, and they're going around avenging stuff and he like makes a mask out of his brother's vest and he's hiding his identity. And it's, the, the, it's, the, it's so, like, the, there's so many things you could do with this. The framing device. No. Why? Why is this happening? No. Why is this happening? Not only... Is is that Johnny Depp and Native American face? Yeah, that's... Yeah. Like, wh- yeah, and heavy makeup. Yeah. What the... No, I mean, like, that's that's my... Like, why are you doing this? Why is this happening? Everything about this feels know. unnecessary. Again, and- to capture the childhood... Of the ninety-five-year-old man who was walking down the street, mumbling to himself, saying, "I want a zoo. I want a Lone Ranger film." It just, I want to travel were... with them back to yesteryear. It, but like, I feel like if I'm a big, I'm a high-powered muckety muck in the showbiz, and I walk in and pitch a fucking dragnet show tomorrow, I will be hurled out like DJ Jazzy Jeff. Like, <laughs> and that show had a pro- popular version on color television. This didn't like what? Why? Why are you doing this? 
again, this is a superhero movie. You own all the best superheroes. What is going on? You can't get these guys to work in a Marvel movie? Yeah, I'm sorry. I mean, They're just I... coming out the wrong way. Old West Batman. That's how you do this. <sighs> He's Old West Batman. I, ha- I and hate start, it. You don't show the origin. We really don't no. need it. I mean, no. people get the concept. But, Chris, you know, growing up, I spent time on a farm, and my aunt and uncle loved the Lone Ranger show. And they to did? me, I, yeah. I feel like you're yeah, going for a joke. This, all... this is a setup to a punchline. No, this is serious. It's no. not a setup. They really they love <laughs> Westerns. They live the Western lifestyle. So I was forced to watch it, and I did not like it. I was like, well, like, what version were dreading. you watching? The 1950s black and white one. Because I'm, I'm not going to lie. I've been to, I've been to conventions all over the country. I've lived on the internet since I could. I have never met a fan of the Lone Ranger. Never. Because uh, my never. aunt my and parents. uncle don't go on the internet. <laughs> yeah. You know, they are not internet people. Same. My parents love the Lone Ranger TV show with, with Clayton Moore and Jason. I, I, again, I consulted my dad. And he would, he would, oh, I, he doesn't reminisce a lot, but like, yeah, my parents would go out dancing because it was free and we would call it hamburger night because we get to eat cooked ground beef with no bun and all the westerns would be on so i'm like oh clearly he'll be able to tell me about the lone ranger fandom nothing had nothing nothing for me what the fuck why is this exist uh but even i had some knowledge like just through pop culture minutiae and having a public domain theme song i had some awareness that's why that's why because it's it's a recognizable ip i i because i was like the second I heard the song, I'm like, oh, yeah, like in Looney Tunes. I'm like, oh, but they didn't own the Lone Ranger. Right. It's nobody owns this song. That's why they, mm-hmm. the Looney Tunes got to use it all the time. I more associate the song with fucking Looney Tunes than I do with the actual Lone Ranger. Oh, To be fair, it's a freaking banger song. Mm-hmm. I mean, the William Tell Overture is like the perfect action classical music that you could want for. It's like he wrote that before the invention of movies to be in movies. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, the uh, William Tell Overture is like three great songs. It, it, <laughs> it, no, it has multiple parts right. that you would recognize. It has, there's a storm part that you would recognize. There's uh, uh, what's called the call of the cows, which plays for morning stuff. That's also from the William Tell Overture. Wow. Yeah. Rossini fucking rules. This movie, um, I don't recommend it. There are so many. There's so many good things that are buried in here, though. I guess go to YouTube and just watch the ending. Yeah, I think that was an, spectacular. Another angering aspect to this is uh, the the idea that any IP is better than launching a movie with no IP. Like yeah. you could have just. Like you could have plucked a character out of a Disney theme park and threw him in here, Davy Crockett, some, like anybody, and and the film would have been exactly the same. But instead, we go to the lone fucking. I'm sorry, off mic. I bitched about. It. I feel like I'm getting too curmudgeonly, and here I am, bitching about the Lone Ranger because mm-hmm. I, I I don't have any kinder things to say about the next film either. <laughs> Oh, I, I'm a much bigger fan of the next movie because, man, you spend this kind of money and you come in second at the box office. Oof. That hurts. Oof. But that is that is because a certain franchise is being solidified as a fucking powerhouse you never want to go up against ever again. And just, uh, yeah, it's just weird to think of this franchise like that. Next movie, Steve Coogan, Benjamin Bratt, uh, Pierre Coffin, Russell Brand, 
Elise Fisher, uh, Dana, Dana Gear, Miranda Cosgrove, Kristen Wiig, and Steve Carell, and then a bunch of the producers voicing minions. Despicable Me 2. It's number one at the box office. Mr. Gru, you're going to have to come with me. Freezing! You know, you really should announce your weapons after you fire them. <laughs> Lipstick taser! I'm Silas Ramsbottom. Bottom. <laughs> I have been recruited to go undercover and save the world. <laughs> I'm sorry, I did not see you there. Ah, Gru is back. Gru. Uh, man, of all the, the pop culture phenomenon that I don't get, I don't get Despicable Me the most. And I know mm. there's something wrong with me. I think I walked into the initial one a little too cynical because I feel like there's, there's, I like Secret Life of Pets better. It, it is largely because I don't get the minions. I, mm. I, I don't. Well, interesting you bring very, up Secret right. Life of Pets. It's the same writers. I know, uh, I know. I, yeah, I'm not Paul an- and Candario also did Schmigadoon, which is like my favorite show now. I'm not a- anti-illumination. <laughs> like I, I watch these movies to not to hate them because I don't fi- have any interest in being an internet personality defining myself by things that I hate. I'm more like, why isn't this clicking with me? I don't like Steve Carell's accent very much. I, I just don't think the concept is very entertaining. Yet the whole Wait. world, what? But you like the Venture Brothers. I know, I know. It doesn't make any sense. I, yeah, I, I feel it's, it's kind of the same concept. The idea of you know being a professional supervillain, and that's like your job. Like I, but it just. But then I, you're stuck in suburbia with a bunch of kids. Wackiness ensues. Yeah. I know. I just don't. I don't hate it. I just don't get it on such a profound level that I, I, I can't shake. I saw the most recent, I watch every animated movie I can. I, I was the one person in seeing Disney's Strange World in the theater uh, <laughs> <laughs> and have kinder things to say about that than the last, was it just, it was a Minions movie. Uh, the, that was the most yeah. recent one, right? Mi- Minions Rise of Gru is the most recent Rise one. of Gru and just like, I'm bored and I don't understand. I don't understand why this is so fun, like so entertaining to people. I don't get it. Uh, huh. Yeah. And I, I, I so I, I liked it. I liked the first one in kind of the same way that I like the Venture Brothers. The idea of like let's deconstruct someone who's a supervillain and go get into what like their normal life is. And this one, like it is tough to sort of detach it from like people just love the minions and I, they're fine. Like I, I like. I like silent physical comedy and that's kind of what the minions are. I don't know why people love them quite as much as they do, but I, they're fine. I think they're cute, whatever. Uh, and this is all over the place plot wise. Yeah. Like it, it, it is just, there's an awful lot of wheel spinning goofiness, but I was laughing at the jokes and that's kind of all I cared about. It's, it's just so bizarre to me. Cause I, I didn't feel like, my my read on the temperature of the first Despicable Me, I never would have predicted it to become what it is. To, I think if you're in LA, like there's just a giant minion sticking out of Universal Studios. It's like their fucking water tower. I, I think a big appeal of the minions is their language. Yeah. Because yeah. it gets across meaning, but it's not English. But you can kind of catch enough things that you think you should understand. <laughs> and that's pretty hard to do honestly right and i guess that would transcend boundaries and language barriers and and yeah don't yeah i i I don't mean to shit on it just i i I just wish i liked it more because like if you heard me last week go off like the mickey mouse cartoons are so 
expressive and funny in a way that I wish the minions were. And 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 hmm. but just the I was looking the first Despicable Me makes like half a billion dollars in America. This makes yeah. twice that. Yeah. Holy yeah. shit. It's made so much money. And yeah, I think the minions are like the part I'm least interested in in these movies. Like they're fine. It's a fun little, you know, little comedy break, whatever. The designs of all the other characters are so strange and expressive and angular. And I especially, just, I really loved Kristen Wiig's character in this because her physical design and how she moved matched Kristen Wiig's energy mm. so perfectly that I was just like, I can we just have a series of movies of her and she like goes shopping and can't goes on Tinder and can't find a date and has like an annoying sister or something. Cause it's like, I, I am shocked. You have to I ask wanna, for I want to see rom-coms starring this character. Why is Diana have so to funny. ask for a despicable me spinoff? What, what, what yeah. are we doing here? Yeah. God damn it. Well, I haven't seen any of the, the follow-ups. I know she sticks around. So I, yeah. So the third one's still on my list just cause, Oh, Trey Parker's the lead. What the fuck? That's yeah. cool. Casting. So I saw this when it first came out because young kids. Mm -hmm. Okay. I remember nothing. Right. I mean, I know I watched this film. 100% I watched this film. And there was like one, maybe two moments when I was like, I remember that. The rest of it was like, I have no idea what's going to happen next. Well, I do because it's a very basic plot. But you know Mm -hmm. what I mean. Uh, But this film failed to leave any impression on I feel me at all. I feel the same way I, I, I can't really distinguish what movie I've seen and which one I haven't because they're kind of for good or bad please don't listen to me on this but they are gag delivery films like it's mm-hmm. it doesn't have a lot of coherence or heart it's just to get you from joke to joke and the minions are kind of perfect punctuation there they can after after a scene fails or succeeds the minions can just do something and it's entertaining yep I think the thing that surprised me the most is how there there aren't many pop culture jokes and i feel like mm. people get very annoyed with kids movies just making a bunch of cheap pop culture jokes is sort of like remember this well now the minions are doing it <laughs> and there's like one or two of those and their most recent reference is like the village people remember animal house now the monsters inc are doing it <laughs> no thank god it didn't get like that but <laughs> I mean, if they ruined the parade, that'd be funny. But it's like, oh, okay, yeah. The the jokes aren't as cheap as you're expecting when you see a kids movie that looks like it's going for cheap jokes. It had some good jokes. The the epic death of El Macho was. I was, was laughing funny. out loud. I was laughing out loud. He had to die in the mo- single most macho way possible, of falling out of a plane while riding a shark with dynamite strapped to him into a volcano. <laughs> I can't think of anything more macho. That's that's pretty cool, man. And uh, maybe Ro- while fighting ninjas, I, I don't know. Yeah, no, just pick with me too. It's like it's a it's a light recommend for me. And it was like, yeah, it was fine. Kids will like it. As an adult, I did not feel insulted. I laughed. What and do you want? Rotten Tomato want? wise, is the second best performing of the really? yeah the five strong minion franchise, with a fourth one coming at us very soon. From Mike White? Am I reading that correctly? Jesus Christ. Are you kidding me? Yeah. I don't, is it the same Mike White? Uh, 
Uh, yeah. Can we just move on to television? I, 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 again, I don't like shitting on things. I don't. But I, I, I wish I, I wish I loved the Minions enough to be happy that it replaced the fantastic world of Hanna Barbera and Universal Studios. Just kidding. Replace the Jimmy Oof, Neutron ride. <laughs> yeah, like I said, the Minions haven't fully taken over the franchise. There's enough of them, but there's plenty of other stuff. I mean, going I, on. The, the next movie is the Minions movie, so they yes, they effectively have. Yeah. They just aren't. Didn't yeah, they the, figured out. They didn't have the they courage to do it, but I, I admire sort yeah, of no, that they, they bounce back and forth. Yeah, exactly. I, I appreciate that they didn't just. The Minions were so popular, the first one that the, you would think that this one would be overwhelmed with minioning, and no, they realized. No, they're minions. Their job is to support the villain. Let's give them a spinoff. Okay. Despicable Me too. Good fun, especially if you have kids. How about that? Yep. Uh, television. Uh, last week, when talking about Dead Like Me, we talked about the difficulty of getting into a Showtime show. And this week is no <laughs> exception for me. Uh, 2013 television, June 30th through July 5th. Ray Donovan debuts on Showtime. And it is the highest viewed Showtime show of all time. And 90% of our listeners are hearing about it for the first time. <laughs> so yeah, here's, here's we uh, talking about getting off on the wrong foot on something. And this is another thing I love about doing the show 30, 2010, because uh, I have never seen the show, but just the name of it conjures memories and trauma. And for me, that was, is, let's say was looking like Liev Shriver and which I have aged much more poorly than he has. And so I, it doesn't, but I would get it all the time. You look like Sabretooth. Uh, and this is the, this is the summer I spend a shitload of time working in LA and this show is coming out. So this guy, people won't stop telling me I look like is plastered everywhere and I have to keep walking by it. And occasionally people react I was so annoyed, like, fuck this stupid show. I'm never, in my, I didn't say it like super consciously, but like, that's my experience with Ray Donovan walking around LA feeling irritated that I keep getting compared to this guy. Uh, even though I really love Liam Shriver, I think he's great. Uh, fuck Ray, it's just, I fuck Ray Donovan is what I feel without ever having seen it. But again, that's, I hope 302010 conjures certain kind of memories for you with that, even if you didn't love or hate something like it really roots you to this specific place in time. And Ray Donovan, Ray Donovan's launch does that for me being in LA and irritated with no car. Ugh. I mean, I feel it's like a good idea for yeah. TV show. He's totally. a fixer, which is a real thing. Big law firms have. It's like, we need someone who can fix problems for our clients in ways that eh, we don't really we don't want to get into him. too much detail we need a wilford brimley no we need a yeah. yeah actually yeah wilford brimley probably was a fixer for the firm uh, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, i hope they didn't pitch the show like that <laughs> <laughs> wilford brimley every week that's what we got uh, yeah i i feel like there are all these shows that i've heard are pretty good and they get like some acting Emmy nominations where someone plays a fixer and I can't keep any of them straight. <laughs> this is the only one I'm like, okay, Ray Donovan, that's the Liv Shriver one. But then there's, there's a Billy Bob Thornton one where I think he's a lawyer. And then there's a Don Cheadle one. Oh, wow. Maybe it has to do with sports. There's all these dramas. Yeah. There's something on Amazon <laughs> with Billy Bob Thornton, good. isn't there? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, wonder what I, that is. I hear they're good. And then like they drop off. People say like, oh yeah, the first two seasons were great. And then blah, 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 blah. 
I, I thought you can't the, keep them straight. The Stop read, fixing. the read on Ray Donovan that I got from people who did watch it is that it it was pretty consistent because Showtime shows have a real big problem with that. From my experience, mm. they get real bad. Uh, but I I thought the temperature I took on this this was good throughout. Like people were very sad that when it ended. Um, anyway, also debuting on NBC this week, Siberia. Spelled like the PC game? No. Siberia. <laughs> Siberia. What is Siberia? This it's sounds a like reality. a lawsuit. <laughs> it sounds like a lawsuit waiting to happen. It's a reality TV show. You go and live in Siberia for a year, and the winner gets prizes if you survive. So I but... also <laughs> feel really bad for people who live in Siberia and don't get paid half a million dollars every year they live there because it's like, ah, oh, what is this? This is film crew. They come here. They give Americans money if they live in Siberia. So my daily life is their <laughs> most horrible challenge. They hold contests right. to, to see if people can live like you for a week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's what it's pitched as. Like, oh, yeah, no, it's just a survival it's show. Cold survivor. Only some of the people are actors. And what? they everyone gets fucked with horribly. By the way, they're not even in Russia. They're in Canada. What? They don't even what? know that. Yeah. And oh, they don't know that? They don't even know that. And then they just get fucked with. And uh, honestly, it sounds like they Blair Witched them. They, oh, like, they wow. tortured these people into making them think the crew is gone and somebody died and maybe a Yeti is attacking us. <laughs> so it's a, now I'm in a, for prank show. If it's a prank show, I'm all in. Yeah, it sounds it like sounds... jury duty. That, that new show on Amazon people are talking oh, about. Oh, that was fun. Yeah. 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 Jury duty was actually a lot of fun. But, uh, yeah, no, it's, it sounds like everyone on the show should sue. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they had them sign waivers that say, we can lie to you and do all these other things. And then you got no Wilford Brimley saying, well, I can get you out of that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there's a point where they think that the show is basically over and they actually have to survive and they have to like deal with, you know, local people. And wow. yeah, like I said, they think they're being attacked by like a Yeti monster. Wow. <laughs> they don't understand what is happening. It's yeah. I'm, I kind of want to look this up now. It only went the one season. Because yeah, that sort of premise like how do you do that again? Gonna, you might you might actually hurt somebody doing that. So mm. and yeah. uh man, in other shows that will probably make me sound like an old person, uh awesomeness ta- TV debuts on Nickelodeon. Um what, uh, what is this? I, it's this a, is a series of YouTube channels, like mm-hmm. eighty thousand YouTube channels or something ridiculous like that. And they were like, what if we made our YouTube on the TV? Well, and then they sold themselves to Dreams Work for $33 million. Yeah, but yeah, to, to, uh, oh, I just, to get all these YouTubers together and just present it as a reality show or a, a sketch comedy show on Nickelodeon. Not a bad ah. idea. Not well, a bad idea. It's like ridiculousness yeah. without uh, intentionality. And. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah. And then, uh, on, and lastly in games, uh, we have one of the weirder entries in the walking dead series, the walking dead 400 days. And this is like the walking dead telltale games were so huge. They feel, felt like they very quickly needed to have some intermediary because telltale could make a game pretty fast. That engine was pretty old when those games were popular. And this is 
the sole entry of 400 Days. It's like the this middle entry in between seasons one and two. Hmm. Um, I'm asking him. It was a question yeah, mark yeah, there. Yeah, I think that was That's a question. It. Uh, okay. it was like five bucks at yeah. initial release, and it was meant to like bridge the gap. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's, it's 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 not supposed to be a full game. It's just supposed to be like, yeah, this is almost a marketing for the sequel. But yeah, that's how big the demand was for that because they the Telltale style wore out its welcome very fast. I feel, but uh, the demand for something like that had never been done in games before. Like to bring like real dramatic emotion, emotional impact to video games. There's no action in these games, Diana. If you don't know what I'm talking about, yeah, um, no, I know. It's it's largely conversation based and decision based. Yeah, that's why I can play them because there's basically no action. Yeah, I, I can't get when there's a little bit of action. You you turns out I think you can skip it, I, <laughs> or you can ask your husband, "Hun, <laughs> can you give those guys stop shooting at me so I can finish the story?" I mean, it, there's rarely any that kind of level of action in, in a Walking Dead game. But I, I would remember, I I don't play games when I've been drinking because I'm not good at them. But I could play this, so I would. So I don't remember a lot of my Telltale experiences. But anyway, Walking Dead 400 Days is out on PC. Uh, I think we may have streamed it. Uh, but that about concludes our show. But we're going to tell you who died during this period. And it is heartbreaking. Uh, <laughs> who died during this period of 302010. Uh, as well as a quiz you can play along with and who was born. Get some plugs out of the way. Thanks for listening. Patreon.com slash time is a great way to show thanks. Five bucks. Uh, modern cup of coffee would help us out greatly give you some extra shows over hundreds of extra content uh, over there. A lot of it 302010 related, including full length movie commentaries. Help us out. Thank you so much. Video game apocalypse this week uh, is our video game show uh, hosted by Mr. Diana Goodman, Michael Parez and Maddie Allen, myself. And we'll be looking at our favorite, the best games of the year so far because the year is about halfway over. Can't believe you didn't notice. It's almost Christmas time and it's only a hundred <laughs> degrees. out. Uh, Di, where can folks find you at? They can find me on the Twitter at listeningerd, L-E-C-I-N-E-N-E-R-D, or follow the show at 302010podcast, at 302010 podcast Coming up next week, oh, we got, oh, we got, we, my God, we got some big stuff. Come on. Guillermo del Toro is just going to build a bunch of robots and make them fight. Yes. Kaijus. Robot jocks, finally. Yes, finally. Also, <laughs> we have a, a grown-up thriller for grown-ups again. Ooh. This time, Clint Eastwood is going to avenge JFK. Wow. <laughs> I love this movie so much. Uh, also, uh, one of the worst, most pointless sequels in history. We get another one. Um, <laughs> they're literally reanimating a corpse to try to keep a series wow. going. Uh... And then the big one, 2003, head to head. We've already mentioned it so many times. Yeah, we're we're taking the seas with, with Captain Jack Sparrow and see if we can resurrect the pirate genre. Hmm. And it's going head to head with honestly, this is what I would have put my money on, an Alan Moore adaptation with Sean Connery in the lead. Wow. Yeah. That's where I would have uh, put my money and I would have lost that money. Yeah. And yeah. I, I bet and, that won't uh, be his last film. Sean <laughs> Sean Connery turned down both Dumbledore and Gandalf. <laughs> And then he accepted that role. And he quit. He, it was so bad. He quit and didn't work for 17 years. Wow. The movie killed him. Uh, but oh, if that's so not enough, next week we'll also see 
the Cosby Show extended universe comes to an end. Oh. Ooh. Yeah, the only aspect of the Cosby Show I'd save in a fire. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And we get a completely believable story about a tornado filled with mother-loving sharks, yo! Mm. Oh, boy. I, I don't want to visit that. Oh, God. All right. Die. Hard who, to engineer a bad movie. Who died? Die. Oh, man, we lost so many greats this week. In 1993, we lost Fred Gwynn, who was only 66. What? You know, he looked 66 the, his entire life, so... Herman Munster, Car 54, where are you? Yeah, My cousin know. Vinny. Sometimes Man. dad is better from Pet Cemetery. Yeah. Um, I was uh, glad you, no you, fair. you caught that. I was doing some internet research that required the Wayback Machine. And I was like, is this guy too old a character for Diana to pick up? Because also Spanky from The Little Rascals, George McFarlane died this week. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Spanky. At, also at 64, wouldn't you assume he was way older? Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's a little kid in like the 30s. Yes, I guess. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, okay. Also, cannot oh, get more old timey than this, though. Holy shit. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah. Also, in 1993, we lost Curly Joe Dorita, who was 83. He was the final Curly in the Three Stooges. <laughs> they went through a. There's there's basically I think three Curlies, and there might be two Shemps. Uh, <laughs> they just kept. Yeah, because the original Curly passed away very. He was very young. He's like forty. He's, he's my. He was my age. He he's dead yeah. at like his early forties. His early forties, and then they uh, bring in Joe Besser, and then finally Curly Joe Dorito in the sixties. I, I they could, were still trying to make. They were still doing Three Stooges stuff. God. So I, I am a hardcore Three Stooges fan. I don't want to go off too long, but lo- long story short. One of the things I love about, long story short, uh, uh, the Stooges, I think, famously were told no, kind of given the impression that no one was watching their short films and they paid them absolute garbage. They didn't get any residuals once they went to television. And then as old men had to kind of like resurrect that and kept making Three Stooges stuff into like the 70s. It was, it's, it's so hard to look at on so many levels, but the way pop culture distills, anybody listening with an awareness of the Three Stooges probably never saw Curly Joe Dorita. It is this, this, it was technically long, but like none of this stuff gets held aloft with the other stuff anymore. No, that's not the good stuff. Yeah. No, it's been buried and rightfully so. Mm-hmm. And in 2003, good Lord, it's a, it's a bad week to be named so, buddy. <laughs> two buddies. <laughs> we had two buddies. First we had Barry White, who's only 58, but you know, he's oh, a big man. guy. The heart, heart gave out. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. The sexiest man, the sexiest music. Anybody with a and, voice that deep feels like they might not be long for this planet. Your body's his, too big. His story James about Earl that. Jones is still kicking. Is he? I think he just yeah, sold off his, his like. He's in his 90s. I, I think he's out of the public eye for a reason. No, because he's in his 90s. I know. I know. True. Leave me alone. But uh, yeah, Barry White, apparently he had kind of a high voice as a child. What? And. And that's that's what puberty is a son of a bitch. And his voice dropped so crazy low, his mom thought something was wrong with him and took him to a doctor. Wow. <laughs> because Jesus Christ. But I mean, interesting oh, composer, songwriter, singer. I love Barry White. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna make us go out with Barry White because hell yeah. But then also in 2003, lost Buddy Hackett, who is 78, comedian, fun guy to be around voice actor our, our younger listeners will know him as the original aquafina 
scuttle. Uh, yeah. <laughs> scuttle and Little Mermaid. That that to yep. me, it, it, I still remark as funny and is my sort of my proof how Robin Williams changed how animation was made. Not only with co- comedy, but comedians. Up until Robin Williams, Buddy Hackett was the most famous comedy individual in a Disney movie. And they were mm-hmm. like three years apart. And <laughs> Yep. And it's a shame because I'm used to seeing Buddy Hackett in like goofy movies where he's just goofy and annoying and maybe he falls down and it's like whatever. And I saw some of his stand up on uh on YouTube going down a weird rabbit hole and like his stand up was really funny. No, he he's like I liked him so much better as a stand up. His delivery and facial expressions, like he could probably just read a menu to you. He's just a funny dude. Yeah. Yep. And then also in 2003, lost Buddy Ebsen, who made it all the way to 95. That's uh, uh, Jethro from the Beverly Hillbillies and was going to be the original Tin Man in The Wizard of Oz, but had a horrible allergic reaction to the makeup. Mm. Which would have been pretty cool. And then we're not done yet. In 2013, we lost Douglas Engelbart, the inventor of the computer mouse, who was wow. 88. He invented wow. that in 1964 for Xerox. It's it. We were talking about that while talking about, you know, there's a lot of fun to be made of the Apple vision, but like, can you imagine creating something that's so ergonomically effective that it sticks around this long as a piece of technology as a fucking mouse? Even it's never been improved. I mean, you see these things where it's like, use the connect and you're just like, you will never be as good as my mother effing mouse. Yeah. And, and, And that there's an entire faction of gamers out there. That's their favorite controller. <laughs> and I don't think yeah. Douglas Engelbart would have any idea. Like, this is the preferred way for people to play Doom. <laughs> yeah. No, the only way to improve it is to make it more ergonomical so it fits in your hands. Mm-hmm. And, you know, have the different buttons in different places that you can reach without having to move your hand too much. Jesus. Now I want to see a video of someone recording Douglas Engelbart playing doom with his mouse <laughs> <laughs> he would have he lived to see it so he got to live to yeah. see pc gaming would have lived 20 years of seeing doom so maybe yeah it's pretty astonishing uh man yeah oh well with that out of the way what do we got going on gr it's time for the birthday quiz birthday get ready to die diana Four. Well, I'm always ready to die. <laughs> I'm like I'm like Biggie that way. Come on. <laughs> Born in New York City, New York, the son of Lillian and Cruz, a restaurant worker and a cab driver. Uh, his father was Puerto Rican and his mother was Jewish, and he was raised, in his words, mostly Jewish. Did we say what had year? A bar- what? Did we say what year he was born? Not yet. Okay. I'm not there yet. Um, Sorry. Okay. Uh, He had a bar mitzvah ceremony. Born July 4th, 1943. Ah. Ooh. Yeah. All right. So turning 80? Turning 80. Still alive? Still alive. Okay. All right. Knock on wood. He had a, growing up, he had a series of jobs from clothing salesman to short order cook before enrolling in Brooklyn Law School. Oh. Uh, Can't be John Grisham. Had an internship uh, with Uber crime fighter Frank Hogan and the Harlem Assertion of Rights and graduated near the top of his class. 
What? <laughs> Although not primarily known as an actor, he has nonetheless appeared in the following. Bonfire of the Vanities, Perry Mason, The Case of the Reckless Romeo, Empty Ness, Nurses, The Critic, Baywatch, Grumpier oh, I... Old Men, Wait. Baywatch Nights, <laughs> Contact, what? Copland, Primary Colors, The Seinfeld Finale, The is Sopranos. Jimmy, Jimmy Breslin? It is no. not. Oh. My name uh. is Earl and Sharknado 5, <laughs> Global Swarming. <laughs> but, okay, so, oh, fuck. No, it's... Is it is it mostly appearances as himself? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Oh. Perry Como? Fuck. No. No. Oh. Oh, wrong Seinfeld episode. If I I tell you what it's famous for, it will give it away in a second. But I will tell you what he was on Uh that does not have his name in the title, but is absolutely synonymous with him. And as soon as I say this, you're both going to buzz in. Wow. I'm shocked by like how baffled I am at this point. Wait, I just realized Judd Wapner's dead. (laughs) (laughs) Not Judge Wapner. Not Judge Wapner. It sounds like an Italian superhero. He had a talk show under his name, but he's most famous for the April 21st, 1986 uh, special, The Mystery of Al Capone's Vault. Wow. Diana's favorite. Oh, my God. He's 80. 80. Wow. Wow. Geraldo Rivera. In 1987, he hosted his own talk show, Geraldo, which ran for 11 years, and he's been on a bunch of things since then. Wow. Oh my god. I believe he just I, uh just walked out on Fox News. Good for him. I guess. I can't believe there are so few Jewish Puerto Ricans. I should have gotten it right off the bat. <laughs> I apologize. Yeah, I was like Eric Andre. No siento. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, happy birthday, Geraldo. Uh um, yes. And w- oh, with that, um... it's time to close out the show. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. Patreon.com slash laser time die. What's taking us out? We got to go out with some Barry White. Oh. Absolutely. Just picking which one I wanted was actually pretty hard because I do have a, a best of Barry White that I do like to play. Not for sexy times, just for fun times. <laughs> but never going to give hey. you up. I think this is, it's just a great song. I mean, people have covered it because it's just such a solid song. So. I, I didn't think it could be sexier than John Hamm sang it to me in Baby Driver. <laughs> hey, we, we have to get the 30 2010 listeners laid so there'll be another generation of 30 2010 <laughs> listeners. Wow. That's, that's awful to think about. People fucking to this show? <laughs> God. We man. had a question oh, no. of the week. Uh, anyway. I mean, you do you, listeners, but please don't. Please. Oh, no. Oh. You know, no one wants that. Anyway, that's it for the show. Thank you so much for listening. Take us out, Mr. White. Never, never gonna give you a- I'm never ever gonna stop Not the way I feel about you